we both saw Rogue One over the last uh, week and a half, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and I went and saw it a second time on Friday. Oh, um, <laughs> I, uh, I was reading all the... Uh, I'm not going to spoil this, but this is what I thought of it. Freaking memes from, you know, Kevin Smith and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Will Wheaton yep. and everybody's like, you know, trying to uh, be like, it was episode seven with no spoilers. As soon as I saw it, the first thing I came um, home and did is wrote uh, my spoiler on Facebook, which is if you're a truce fan, there are no spoilers. Exactly. No, you I- know, um, if it, it really the spoiler is already out, if you've read the freaking um, scroll from episode four, that's the whole movie. I came out of it thinking, oh, huh, they they addressed the scroll for episode four. Uh, it was right on the money. I like, I uh, I went and explained to people that it it perfectly shoelaced episode three and episode four together. It even had Senator Organa in it, um, and it went on and on about that, you know, and it just really tied it together perfectly. Well, in in this house, we don't know anything about episodes one, two, or three, just because <laughs> in my head, those happen in a very, very different way. No, like, with, with Rogue One, I thought that... Well, so I have a very, very short list of complaints. The first being the CGI Tarkin, CGI Leia that they're, they're, it's still in the Uncanny Valley. I don't know if you're familiar with the term Uncanny Valley whenever we're talking about like CGI of, of supposed to look like human mixed in with humans or like robots that are supposed to look like androids or whatever. But it's it, the Uncanny Valley is where it's not quite right. It's not quite 100%. It's like 95%. And the thing is, is that the Uncanny Valley for most people it really puts them off. And they're just like, ooh, this is real weird. And it, it's it's kind of like if you see someone with a non... Well, most people don't have symmetrical faces, but within a certain certain like percentage of correctness, uh, most people's faces are pretty much symmetrical uh-huh. and proportional. Um, so whenever you meet people with certain sorts of uh, disabilities or uh, they're misshapen... <laughs> diseases like elephantitis and stuff like that where like half of their face grows out of proportion in some direction or the other, the other yeah there's asymmetry the to everybody yeah. Too, so. yeah yeah but whenever you're talking about extreme asymmetry with uh like facial features it really puts off a lot of people and it's it's not something that people necessarily have that much of a choice about especially if it's the first time they're being introduced to that idea um mm-hmm. it's very very frightening to most people so that's that's the sort of thing that how CGI characters and films, that's how I react to it, where I go, that looks really great from a CGI point of view, but it's a little weird. And on, on second viewing, I couldn't get be, get, get past it. Like, the, on second viewing, Leia was better than the first time, but Tarkin was real bad. Like, the, it was almost like the mouth wasn't matching up to the words that were being said. And... Mm. <clears throat> And just, it, it felt like there were too many really, really tight shots on his face whenever they didn't really need to be there. And the, it was also, I was listening to a podcast that some people I know do, uh, where they're talking about the kind of like the sparkle motion around the CGI, like it was too crisp and too clear and the lighting wasn't quite right. Excuse me. And these all fall into uh, contributing to that whole Uncanny Valley. Leia was better on the second 
the second viewing, but Tarkin uh, on, on the first viewing, was, well, on the second viewing was not as good as on the first. Uh, and then my other complaint, and I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this or not, uh, but the performance, like the actual actor in the suit performing as a Darth Vader wasn't quite right. Uh, because, like, after I saw it the first time uh, last Sunday, I came home, did stuff at home, had lunch, hung out with Alexis, and then sat down and started watching A New Hope, because that's what you should do. And, and like you said, perfectly well, she strings everything together. But that version of Darth Vader that's in 1997, well, yeah, 1977 Star Wars A New Hope is a very stoic figure. Like, there's not a lot of body language aside from standing there and being an ominous presence. Whereas in this, you know, like, he walks into the sort of, uh, the welcoming room, if you want to call it that, uh, a mm -hmm. Mustafar, and, uh, browbeats Krennic, and then force chokes him, and it's like, it's kind of maybe that's a pitch to, to the fans saying, yeah, Darth Vader force chokes somebody because he's, he's fucking Darth Vader. But at the same time, the way that he acts wasn't as it didn't feel as as overwhelming or or as much of a shadow um as menacing and quiet menacing as darth vader from the original trilogy was and then like when he does the force choke the weird thing he does with his fucking hand outside of his cape like oh i'm force choking you with my darth vader claw it, that really fucking bu bugged me and and then, separate to that, uh, to, well, and, and, like, you can also say similar sorts of things to the scene, uh, at the end as he's just mowing the fuck down Rebels, uh, on, uh, as they're trying to get the plans off of the cruiser and trying to hand it off to the, to the, um, blockade runner. Like, I mean, yeah, we're like, okay, well, it's Darth Vader, uh, wrecking shop, but it felt almost too animated and it didn't feel as menacing it, it felt like, oh, he's being a swashbuckler. Not as a, I'm going to slowly destroy all of you because I can, and you mm. are in my way. It, it, so it, it, that bothered me too, but not not as much as the scene on Mustafar. But the thing that bothered me the, the most, the absolute most about Darth Vader, is they used the wrong gloves. If you, <laughs> if you look, or, or, or like the, the shirt uh, that he's wearing in all of the Star Wars films, has like a, a vertical stitching which creates these vertical lines that go from shoulder to wrist. And that, if you go look at any photo of Darth Vader, that's what the arms look like. And then he's got these, these giant gloves on that go over top of the sleeves. Mm -hmm. And in that, in this Darth Vader in, uh, in Rogue One, he's got the sleeve looking like it comes over the glove. Because mm -hmm. it looks like it looks like those lines go down onto the hands. And that really, really bothered me. But it could be that it's a different pair of gloves that, that have vertical lines on the gloves. But if you go and watch A New Hope, it's not the same gloves, gloves as, as what is in A New Hope. And that bugs me because it's one of those continuity, consistency sort of things. And all of us have seen Star Wars a thousand fucking times. And so we know all of the little minutiae about all the little things and, like, all throughout Rogue One, everyone's going, oh, and that's that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, wait, and, and that's that. Okay, I see how they, they link these two these two films together. Okay, 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 that, 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 that too. And it's the attention to detail that I really, really appreciate. Mm -hmm. And then they fuck up on Darth Vader's gloves. 
one no, of the no, things I, that's like I, right I, there on the front. I completely agree. Like, I don't know. Well, my that was probably my single biggest complaint about Rogue One uh, was whenever uh, was was Darth Vader and. You know, the, the whole swashbuckler versus slow and menacing. Like, I almost could get past that, but like like you said, it was the suit. Like, it was more than just the gloves to me. It was how the uh, the the gadgetry hung over his over his shirt. It just looked like something straight from, like, Comic-Con, you know, a cheap uh, Vader costume. And and I'm, I'm not sure if I really appreciated that so much. But it wasn't so... It, it, but I think that you, you're on to something with with the stoic like for me it was the mannerisms like whenever he turned to his side and he does this thing where the sign language asshole uh that right there probably was the single biggest facepalm in the whole movie and i couldn't hardly get past that like it just drove me crazy um and and the darth vader stuff was probably the worst part of the movie um by far um and like you were mentioning, the CGI stuff, like, to be honest with you, I didn't even um, notice the CGI with Grand, Mo- Grand Moff Tarkin, um, but I did notice it with Leia. Um, and and I thought, okay, that doesn't look too bad, but um, but again, I didn't notice it at all with Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, <clears throat> um, there were some really spectacular scenes, just the Darth Vader scene just, just drove me crazy. Um and yeah, I think you, you nailed it nailed it right so, right on. So so one thing one thing that I did think was awesome about Vader was one that they did show Mustafar, two that they showed his citadel or castle or whatever they want to call it. I like to think of it as a citadel. Uh, mm-hmm. Showed that on Mustafar, which was epic at mm-hmm. at very least. And then it shows him in the back to tank with all his limbs gone and he's just floating there and he's being guarded by two Imperial guards. It's like, ah, it, ah that's exactly what you want out of Darth Vader. So mm-hmm. that, that was that was pretty great. Um, other Well, so other stuff that, that stood out for me, um, I didn't know that the Mon Calamari Admiral, uh, whose name escapes me right now, the guy who's like the grayish color instead of the orange one, like Admiral Akbar. Um, mm-hmm. That that character was actually CGI every time you see it, uh, or at least that's what I understand at this point. So I mean, if I'm wrong, then you know I'm just unaware and I've been misinformed. But every, what I understand is that that character completely was CGI, or at least his face was. Uh, and then uh, K2SO was of course CGI through the entire thing, but you don't even think twice about it. No, like, you really don't. And and I really think that that the K2 character stole the show every time that you see him until uh, you see it the second time and then some of the jokes kind of fall a little little bit flat because you know they're coming yeah uh, it's kind of like the in uh force awakens last year the the bb8 and finn um like thumbs up on the millennium falcon whenever uh bb8 finally gives ray the coordinates of the the resistance base and finn's like yeah thumbs up and bb8 does a little little uh butane lighter thumbs up yes yes on the second showing since you it know it's coming it's cool. <laughs> not as funny not as funny i mean it's still cool it's just it's like oh, that was really funny the first time i saw it yeah and you're like oh yeah. um yeah. one thing i did and you know one thing i did notice though was uh was you know um being as a episode at um seven had a lot of shoutbacks and 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 like um just uh, little 
tidbits and pieces for fans to just eat up and, and go nuts about. The one thing that I was hoping for, they didn't throw in there, and that's, it's a trap! <laughs> well, they, so they did have the it's a trap line. Uh, it was in the final, like, it was whenever the Rebel Alliance were having their little meeting going, we're not going to do this because, and everyone, and someone actually goes, but it's a trap. Like, it wasn't as out there like the Akbar was, uh, one was, but it, it was there. Uh, so, so, like, if you haven't seen it again, definitely go through and you'll, you'll see all the little stuff. I uh, did like the Corvette scene, though. That, that was pure badassery the the hammerhead corvette pushing one yes. star destroyer into the other you're just like yes. ah so i noticed it on on second viewing um that so right there after the the plans are beamed up and the the rebel fleet is starting to disperse and everyone's trying to get away because uh the death star is about to blast the planet and because the the imperial fleet is coming in Right there, whenever it shows all the the ships going pew, 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 flying away really fast, and then all of a sudden it's like bam, Darth Vader's star destroyer is there. You see one of the rebel ships run into it immediately, like it's about to jump to hyperspace, and then Darth Vader's ship's right in the way, and the thing just like breaks apart like like China being thrown against the wall. It was mm. it like you see it, and you're like, oh shit. That's awesome. So that yeah. scene right there was probably the most badass scene in as far as the CGI scenes are concerned. With the 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 the, the, the whole star destroyers, yeah. uh, the the hammerhead corvette um, running the two other two destroyers into each other. It was it was amazing. It was and like it had me uh, damn near cheering in my seat. If it wasn't for you know the fans that were surrounding me. <laughs> I probably would have cheered. Well, what, you know? When did you go see it? Did you go see like an evening showing, or did you go see like a midday showing? And like, how close to opening day was it? Uh, I think I went and saw it um, on on a Saturday. Uh, I was work. I had to work late on Friday and do my thing. Okay. So when caught a midday show in the theater, it was it had quite a few people in it, but it wasn't super packed, um, and it was really nice. You know. I think I think this type of this specific franchise uh if you really want the the group experience and the social experience where everyone's cheering and laughing all together and stuff like that the opening night is probably the best time to do it like i guess wednesday night going into thursday whenever they have all the sneak previews and those have been sold out for months and all of that so anyway absolutely (laughs) so um unfortunately i couldn't do that this time around yeah um no, I mean, Rogue One, all in all, I still give, you know, full stars to, you know. And I do believe that it, it beat out Episode 7, mm-hmm. handedly, at that. Um, the characters just felt like they were better developed. Uh, the storyline felt like it was, it had more continuity to it. Uh, I, you know, it's arguable to say that, that you already knew what was coming, but at the same time, it was just... Like, J.J. Abrams, um, I love him as a director-producer... But he kind of he spent too much time trying to make up with fans for episodes one, two, and three, and didn't get to the uh, storyline. And another thing I didn't like about episode seven was it was just another Death Star, just new and improved. It was more like a Death Planet. Uh, so I had my issues with episode seven, and the issues that I had with Rogue One uh, didn't even come. And the amount, the sheer amount of them, didn't come close to what I had with um, episode seven. So all in all, I do think that uh, Rogue One was 
a real Star Wars flick that was on par with anything that they've made previous, the best of what they've made previous. And oh. so I recommend it to go watch, or anybody to go watch. A lot of people were t- were saying after seeing the first, like the, the, the what is it, um, the red carpet premiere that they had down in L.A., after after that came out, all like Kevin Smith and Will Wheaton and all the, them were saying that it's you know, one of the top two or three Star Wars films, probably one of the top two, like Empire, Rogue One, and then you go in th- to the rest of them in an appropriate uh, <laughs> numbering order um, with the prequels down at the far end. Now, everyone was saying how, how great it was. Uh, and one cool thing that I've been doing for the last year or so is... Well, more than the last year, like the last three years. Uh, so I am a big fan of the website Tested.com. And uh, Adam Savage from Mythbusters is kind of uh, spearheading that project now. It's now Adam Savage's Tested.com. And back in 2012, whenever I got into it, uh, they have a weekly podcast called This Is Only a Test. And uh, hey, go listen to that podcast. It's, it's really great. Uh, the current version of it... Uh, three guys doing it are really great, and I I enjoy it. It's like one of my weekly things. Like download the podcast, listen to it on the way to work or on the way home one day. And if if I haven't had a chance to listen to it, then I feel like something is really off with my week. Like just schedule of events. Uh, but anyway, like the original cat, three guys doing it. Um, one of them, his name is Gary Witta, and he's one of the original writers for Rogue One. And so I've I've known that he was doing Rogue One for the last three years since they announced that uh, there was going to be another Star Wars movie come out after The Force Awakens, but it was not going to be Episode Eight. It was going to be something that was going to be a prequel for A New Hope, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we found out that Gary was doing it, so I've been paying a lot of attention to that. And like going through and especially watching it a second time, and like kind of having a little bit of time to process it. And also following all of Gary's Twitter stuff over the holidays, especially since the well, since before the premiere and through now, the amount of love and care that the writing staff had for this film is—it's something that I think I've never seen before. Like you can tell that every single person who worked on this film, uh, especially the writers, of course, the directors, actors, and all that, but that's a totally separate sort of thing. Uh, whenever you talk about like getting the story right before you actually start filming it. And I'm sh- I'm relatively certain they went through and they changed a bunch of the film after seeing the first uh, the first edit of it and going, oh, well, we're going to change this and kill everyone off. Uh, but you can, you can really tell that the people who wrote it, they know their Star Wars lore. They know the seven films that have already come out that are official canon. They know the TV shows because people like Gary also have, have been writing some of the TV shows. Um, but they also know canon, like the non-canon stuff, the Star Wars, uh, what is it, Legends, like uh, uh, Old Republic, the Star Wars The Old Republic video game stuff, uh, all of the old novelizations that were coming out while you and I were growing up. All of the people that worked on the, on the writing stuff know about these little bitty nuanced things in those stories, and they actually started putting little pieces of it into this. And knowing that, going back through, it's like, oh, wow these guys actually really, really care about Star Wars. And I appreciate that there was that much love and care put into writing this film. Um, Absolutely. And, like, yeah, sure, they killed everybody off in the end. Uh, I think the 
the two most painful deaths to watch were probably K2 uh, and uh, Chinwei, or however you pronounce his name, the blind monk. Like, him, like, his death scene, even on the second viewing, had me, like, like kind of tearing up a little bit, just like, fuck, this is heavy. And you're, you're, because he was such a likable character, and so is, so is K2. But K2 mm -hmm. is one of those, ah, it's a droid, and, it, like, or he was the comic relief on some stuff, but you didn't, like, really, you didn't feel a lot of the stuff that he was going through. And mm -hmm. with, with the monk and how he was doing his chanting, and, like, he's talking about the Force, and he's the only character in the film that's really talking about the Force, and the Force is such a huge thing for all the Star Wars films. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the religion that all of this is based off of. Well, that becomes, uh, like, I, I guess, how can I say this the right way? So the, the, the idea of the Force as a religion has become something because of Star Wars, and it's something that I think a lot of, of people, even out, well, mostly in Star Wars fandom, but they can take, Star Wars fans can take the idea of that and take it outside of the fandom and even turn it into a, uh, a, a quiet little... Uh, self-actualization uh, secular belief thing where they're just saying to themselves that and I tweeted this earlier today uh, everything is as the force wills it and it's like okay you don't necessarily have to believe in a deity you don't necessarily have to believe in uh, uh, prophets or saviors or all of the dogma that goes with organized religions mm -hmm. but if you just if you have a, have a, a belief structure that is there is something and it's something that binds us all together, and it binds the universe together, and it 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 makes me connected with my coffee cup, but it makes me <laughs> connected with uh, a star that's on the other side of the universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of people can go, okay, well, I, it, it's almost like an agnostic view. It's like I don't know, but I feel like there could be, and I think the idea of the force kind of falls into that. And I mean, maybe that's one reason. Uh, like I'm. A devout atheist but but uh i think that yeah you know, like my belief structure works is in such a way that if there is a god not saying that i'm agnostic but if there is one then he and i or it and i we know upon what what grounds we stand with each other and mm -hmm. i am the way that i am because of the events that have happened up to the point that I'm at right now, so mm -hmm. why should I go through uh, damnation and torment, which is what a lot of Christians that I've been around growing up with, and I don't know if you've had that same experience, uh, <laughs> but a lot of the, a lot of people were like, oh, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your personal savior, then you're going to go to hell and fire and damnation, etc., etc., etc. Well, if you don't have the belief structure to believe in Jesus or God or Yahweh or whatever they want to call him. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I mean, like people all around the world that have never heard of this these religions, they have some sort of religious belief. Why should they be cursed to eternal damnate fire and damnation because of not knowing? Yeah. So being able to say that you know what, everything is as the force wills it. The force being whatever it is that binds us all together. And I think that's like a huge takeaway that, like I personally am going to have from this is like saying you know what. I'm not saying it's a religion. I'm not saying it's a religious belief, but maybe it's maybe it's a philosophy that says, you know, there there is we are all part of this universe and therefore we are connected because it's a closed system. And therefore 
I should act according, accordingly within that system mm-hmm. uh, and to the benefit of all. And you can work in stuff like the philosophies, like gold, the golden rule and stuff like that, and that all makes sense. So, hey, check it out. With my NSFW podcast, I can work in religion. <laughs> so <laughs> No, I, absolutely. No, I, and I completely agree with you. Um, we, you know, like I, as somebody who um, claims to be a a six out of seven um, agnostic, you know, like um, for me, there there's there's no proof that exists, but I can't say that there's there's a hundred percent proof that that um, that there isn't. So I, I consider myself full on agnostic, and I reserve the the possibility of there being a god or some sort of deity or spirituality or faith or whatever and so for me especially as an agnostic the force especially appeals to me um if for no other reason that it is more understandable more scientific than any current world religion that um that is out right now and that's something um i like to talk about as far as things as religion and the effects that things have on it and i'm one of those few people who who I might be agnostic and not full-on atheist. Um, I don't think that religion is necessarily a healthy thing. It's it's this, to me. I equate um, most religion with people who haven't grown out of Santa Claus yet. And, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, uh, this week this week was Christmas. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, like with the force, there's no necessarily belief in a deity. There's, you know, the belief that that there is you linked with. The universe essentially and everything in it in some way shape form or fashion but there's no deity um you know sometimes there's there's a an element of confidence in yourself through the force which really appeals to me um because i'm one of those um agnostics that says you know you should believe in yourself above anything else because um because you know you people who pray Really, all they're doing is is talking to themselves and talking themselves up. And it's just like, dude, you don't need to pray to your imaginary friend. Just tell yourself to get it done, you know. And to me, the the anybody the force really is saying, hey, I'm confident with the force. The force makes me confident. I can do this. And so it really melds together the best parts of my agnosticism with any sort of spirituality that that may be down and deep inside of me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. <laughs> if you keep up with, like, old canon, like uh, Tor canon, um, um, you know, because that's actually uh, uh, the uh, Knights of the Old Republic, Knights of the Old Republic mm-hmm. 2, and uh, the Old Republic, the MMO, they're all Lucasfilm, and they are all official canon. No, and if they're really... not. No, they're not. Ever since... Uh, Ever since Disney bought Lucasfilm, they they said the only thing that's canon is the movies, um, and they so well the movies and the Clone Wars TV show and the Rebels TV show, and I think they launched Rebels after the. You sure that it beca- I thought everything yeah. that was Lucasfilms mm-hmm. was canon. Uh, well, um, Lucasfilm holds the rights on all of it. Anything that says Star Wars on it, or that talks about the stuff that happens in Star Wars that we consider part of that universe all of that's owned by lucasfilm so all of it disney has the right to take from and use Uh because they own the the property now but the only things that were canon that 
uh, are not up for grabs or not up for interpretation are the well, so prior to The Force Awakens uh-huh. um, were the six films and the Clone Wars TV show. I could have swore that that the that the the video games themselves were all canon, but nope. I digress. I I can't I can't prove that or disprove that right now during this podcast. Yeah. However, I have to say that that there is a deep ingrained hope that they will make a film over the Mandalorian Wars. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm a nerd, <laughs> so I definitely definitely am hoping for something like that. Um, and it would it would bring back uh, such a depth. To, it would bring a depth to Star Wars that is not currently there. That that for us true nerds, that, that's that's something that creates like I don't know uh, a 3D picture of Star Wars that most people don't see. They see it in almost like a 2D and two dimensions, you know, and just what they've seen off the movie. And for us who know a lot of the background, where a lot of things come from, like the Jango Fett, the Boba Fett armor, that's Mandalorian armor, you sure. know, and we we want to see that and. Uh, and Mandalorian Wars, so I, I I'm holding out for that. And speaking of which, you you did hear who they've cast officially as young Lando, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Don Glover. Yeah. Donald Glover. He's he's no no, no no no. We we gotta call him by his his original Twitter handle, Dong Glover. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So Don- apparently apparently he he made the Twitter account and then was like, what? I'm Don Glover, and everyone's like, nah, bro. Think about it, and he went back through and, and then changed it to, child, to childish Gambino. So, like I heard that, I just started laughing. No, so uh, in regards to the video games, um, have you have you heard of Dark Forces, which was a first-person shooter released in the late '90s? It was whenever I was in high school, uh, because James and I used to play it a little bit. And uh, Dark Forces was about stealing the plans for the Death Star, and uh-huh. Uh, the the character that that you played as was Kyle Katarn, who was the, later on the hero for the um, uh, was it uh, Jedi Outcast or whatever the name is Jedi Knight to Jedi Outcast yeah, which is like Dark Forces one Dark Forces two Jedi Knight Jedi Knight to uh, Jedi Outcast and then Jedi Academy in that order. So those were the the games that that they followed a, a specific storyline, but uh-huh. with Rogue One, they basically they took all of those and they crumpled them up like a parking ticket and threw it out the window. And it was <laughs> because they wanted to write a different story for it. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, they did well. They did really well. So, uh, switching gears, since we, since like I said, this week was Christmas, uh, mm-hmm. what, sort of, what sort of stuff were you up to yesterday? <laughs> uh, Christmas type stuff. Um, there's some things you, that... You don't, you don't have to get too graphic. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would say this one's for the kids, but it 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 really it, isn't. It really isn't. So, uh, I got a lot of candy, which is not very good because I'm a little on the rotund side. <laughs> so, I got these giant Reese cups. They're like an inch thick, and they have to be oh, had been four I've inches seen in diameter. I've seen and, those. And those are some belly busters, man. Like you can you can't hardly get one down. Uh, <laughs> I would I would I would cut that sucker up like a pizza. And like That's take, what I did. Take actually. little pie slices of it. So <laughs> it, it's tough, and the ch- the chocolate shell is pretty thick. So yeah, um, but yeah, that that was mostly my Christmas. I got chocolate, which you know I'm pretty happy uh, happy about. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that um, is being reserved for in my future studio. Uh, 
I also got a really good, uh, looks like uh, Empire Strikes Back painting, which is really nice. Gotcha. And and uh, I got, you know, more chocolate. <laughs> I got, uh, God, what is it? Uh, the fa- some fancy name brand. I can't think of the name of it. But I also got two coffee cups with it, you know, because you got to have that coffee. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, the wife purchased me the Lego Architecture Studio Kit. And, <laughs> I mean, I... She got that for me, and I opened it, like, two weeks ago. Uh, she's like, here, do you want an early Christmas present? I was like, okay, I guess. Uh, and so I busted that open and then subsequently spent the next four hours uh, building a scale <laughs> model of the house I've been designing in my spare time over the last two years. So I now, I like, sitting in, like next to my TV, I've got this little Lego house uh, built out. <laughs> And, and I mean, it's not like scale for for minifigs or anything like that. It's just scale for one peg it equals so many feet, or like, uh-huh. uh, one, yeah, one peg is so many feet. So, it just it, nice, nice little afternoon with that. Um, a couple weeks ago, I stopped by Japantown uh, out here in San Francisco on the way home, and picked up this little steel. Uh, it's like they come in, I guess, pressed steel sheets, uh, uh-huh. where you have to go through and take like snippers and and trim these uh, pieces of metal out and you can fold them together and make some sort of model and they uh-huh. refer to it as a mu- museum grade model and so a couple weeks ago i picked up a star destroyer because i was like Fuck yeah they've got star wars and then cool. yesterday opening up like a few little gifts that that i was given from uh family out here and i ha- now have a millennium falcon one i haven't opened mm-hmm. it but i have a millennium falcon one sitting on on the counter and I'm just like I'm gonna have to do this as soon as I get a good pair of snippers because last time I uh, whenever I spent the Star Destroyer together I was having to use a pair of fingernail clippers because that's the only thing that had like just that little bit of a curved edge to where I could get in between um, gaps in in the steel Mm -hmm. so but that that was pretty cool Um, I don't know like I'm in my early to mid 30s I guess Mm -hmm. mid 30s now <laughs> and you're in your mid to late 30s so i i guess you know christmases are a little different than than uh when we were growing up like because i remember having the tree and then you have the pile of stuff underneath it and sure it's like oh well, here's a pair of shoes here's a here's a jacket here's a shirt and so you have both the kind of the necessities that the parents hold off until oh well we'll give it to him for christmas and he'll need it in the winter uh, or he'll need it for going into the spring semester or something like that. So oh, we'll, uh-huh. we'll hold that after Christmas. And then you throw in a bunch of toys, too. Yep. And being an adult, if I need a new pair of pants, well, I'm going to buy a new pair of pants. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I need a new pair of shoes, well, I'm going to buy a new pair of shoes. If I need a new jacket, then, well, I'm going to stop at the store on the way home. I'm going to pick up a new jacket or go on the weekend or something like that. And mm-hmm. so I think I think there's a part of me that that's kind of reluctant to grow up where it's like oh christmas time let's see if i if i got anything and it's like no you didn't it's okay you're an adult <laughs> now you buy your own things that's part of being an adult and uh, no no yeah. i completely agree like um although one thing i have uh, in my adulthood that i've come to 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 come as a philosoph- a christmas philosophy if you will is I will not buy, like, I will not buy, nor will I ask anybody for clothing items, because that's stuff, like you said, you buy any time of the year, whenever you need it. Like, if I need a new pair of shoes, I go out and get myself a pair of shoes. If I need some socks, I'm going to go get some socks. So I've 
as an adult, I almost completely exclusively uh, say, okay, we're going to get toys or the equivalent to. So, um, you know, um, and what kind of toys those are, you know, I, keep in mind, I, <laughs> I buy mo- most of my toys for myself, but um, that's what I get. Like, I don't, I don't think of like getting those kind of necessities. And the, and the older I get, the less I really want to get anything but toys for myself or anyone else. Um, just because that is the time to get the toys. The stuff that you're going to play with, the stuff that you're going to use and enjoy as opposed to just a warm, comfy pair of socks, you know? like I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, if, if Alexis were to be like, here, I got you a bunch of socks for Christmas, I'd be like, fuck yeah. I got some socks for Christmas. Yeah. It's funny. This last week I saw a, uh, a little meme that bounced around the internet a little bit. Uh, that was a, a graph of the vertical axis was, uh, happiness and the, the horizontal axis was age and it was appreciation of receiving socks for Christmas, uh, over time. And so, and it was, it was a hockey stick graph of, you know, slowly build and then jump straight up. So like, as you get older, you're like, yeah, somebody got me a pair of socks. This is awesome. Now, the last couple of years, so Alexis and I, we've been together for six years. And, uh, so yeah, 2010 to now, six years. And we've been married for four of those. And since our second Christmas together, so 2011, uh, we've pretty much like four for Christmas. We'll do like one little gift off to the side. That's, uh, like some sort of underwear or something like that. And, you know, a couple times I've got her some, some fancy expensive lingerie from some company that she really likes. So stuff that she thinks is really cute. Mm-hmm. And she, she tries pretty su- successfully. There's been a couple times that I've been like, eh, but she pretty successfully just buys me different brands of, men's briefs and boxer briefs every year like we'll go with some different name brand like this year it was diesel and dolce gabbana and she just looks for stuff that she thinks looks okay that she thinks that i'll appreciate and i'll like mm. and it's it's not about me going oh i look sexy in these underpants uh, it's about <laughs> me going oh okay well these are going to be supportive and they're going to fit well and they're not going to be too long but they're not going to be too short uh and like like shortness in the legs and stuff like that because i i haven't been doing the the tidy whitey uh briefs <laughs> like since i was in high school and like i switched to boxer shorts then and then slowly after that i started wearing more of uh almost like fashion briefs and then switched to boxer briefs but the the short legged ones uh and sometimes i'll end up accidentally purchasing the ones with the longer legs and then it, it feels like I'm I, like I've got something riding up my legs, like not like I've got something riding up my ass. <laughs> but it, no, it just, it. everything feels way too long, and then it feels like over time, as they get as they go through the number of wash cycles, then it, they don't they no longer support you in the ways that you buy underwear and how you would like them to support you. So <laughs> about, about once a year is a good balls, time. You know, get it from the full underneath. <laughs> well, no, no, absolutely, well, I, I agree with you. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm more of one. I, 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 I like. I gotta be. I gotta be honest with you, man. Um, like, I, I can't. I. It, it, it's real hard for me. Like, I understand. There's a lot of thought that goes in whenever people buy, like, I don't know, toe socks and stuff like that. 
But the, Which, the, I mean, I mean, the, they they can be cute in certain situations, but <laughs> the rest of the time they're fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have an old roommate who really loved his toe socks, and he really he bought some of those shoes that are like the, the ones that like the toe shoes um, that they I guess his were like yellow and black, or maybe they're gray and black. I don't know. In my head, they're yellow, and like it, you look like you're walking around with with like barefoot, but you, it, it's it's like it's like you've got it's like you've got these these futuristic bionic feet, and. <laughs> It's real weird. It's it's. It, I, I would I would equate it to the the shot of Saw Gerrera in in Rogue One, walking like showing his his robotic feet. It, maybe a little bit like that, but but not as weird. It's it's They're like just... seeing it's like seeing uh, Luke or Anakin, like Luke in um, uh, Force Awakens or Anakin in uh, the last shot of uh, Attack of the Clones, where he's got the robotic hand <laughs> and. And it, it, it's it's like oh it's a robot it looks kind of weird because it's a robot but you're like whatever it's it's a robot but it's different when you see these people walk around town wearing <laughs> toe shoes because you're like really like for kids I get it I get it for kids but like whenever I see it like it's 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 like one up from socks and sandals you know <laughs> you know <laughs> and and it's like. He, on the same playing field as you've you've seen Harry and the Hendersons. You remember when they they oh, they strap the Bigfoot things to their feet and yeah. walk around with the, the Sasquatch prints. Yeah, that's yeah. what they remind me of. Dude, I <laughs> so. haven't seen that in probably twenty five years. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so so it's funny that you mentioned socks with sandals because th- this roommate would fucking do that too, and it really <laughs> creeped me out. And I, I would just be like, dude. What are you doing? He's like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just comfortable. <laughs> are, are, are you really? Because you know, heaven forbid you come anywhere near a puddle because your day is ruined. Oh, uh, just don't so wear the socks and the sandals. Like, I get those people who, you know, who buy the hundred dollar chacos because those chacos are really freaking fantastic. But chacos, whenever you please th- define, define for um, me because because I, I I don't know what it is. Chances are anyone listening to this might not know too. Well, um, I'm not that I'm selling out the big Chaco or anything, but there's a website. It's called www.chaco.com. And it's No, C-H-A-C-O, I believe. Okay, Chaco. Okay, uh, okay. go ahead. And uh, they're, uh, they're a sandal that's made in the United States, and they have the really nice um, bands that go across. Um, you can custom, um, like, you can custom put together the, the sandal. They have diff- several different styles of sandal. But they have a real nice thick foot plate. Um, the really nice, you know, those old school like friendship bracelets. That's kind of the same material that they use for the straps, and and you could okay. choose the color and the design of the straps and put them together, and they last forever. And if they ever like screw up, you you could send it back, and they will repair them and send them back to you. And a lot of people are really proud about getting their chacos. You know, and and I get that. You know, and a lot of people like they 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 seriously will take pictures of their feet with the Chaco like tan lines, you know, because it's such it's such a big deal for oh, them. And, and like I get that, but it's just like like so sandals aren't really a big deal. It's just whenever you wear socks with sandals, it it's, it's it for lack of better word uh, wording, it's just creepy. You know, like. Like it, it, people who wear socks with sandals are like, I've never had a significant other ever in my life, and I don't plan on getting one. <laughs> okay, so 
So <laughs> I'm not going to get into that about my older mate. We're just going to... If he ever listens to this, I'm sorry. I, I promise I won't get into this on, on air. As much as we don't talk anymore. I, I, I respect you enough to not get into that. Um, no, so so there was... So admittedly, we're talking about this type of footwear. Admittedly. Uh, so I have a degree in menswear design uh, that I pay... I To this day, pay a lot of fucking money every month for. Um, but, so part of my senior collection with this was this, like... I was trying to do this Batman, like Batman, uh, the Dark Knight, stealthy shapes, like the really, really hard diagonal angles and stuff like that. Uh, That's what I was trying to do for my senior collection. And I wanted to have all the footwear designed for it. And I was designing footwear, which is great. Uh, And I have that in my portfolio. I never physically received a pair of the prototypes, which still pisses me off. Uh, But whatever. I didn't actually end up paying for them because they didn't send them to me. Uh, but the company that I was using to prototype them uh, was out of Bali, Indonesia. And they do these, like, Burning Man-esque clothing, like, different, like, jackets and vests and pants and all things. Uh, they did a bunch of cool, really cool jewelry back in the day. And then, like, the company kind of went silent for a few years and it's back now. And they're, they're selling this stuff again. I think they ended up getting a new designer or something I, I heard rumor that uh, something really bad happened to the previous uh, head designer or guy running the thing. Uh, but because I don't know, I, I, I can't say. Uh, but they specialize, their footwear is the tabby-style toed boots and shoes. So, like, where your big toe is separate from the, your four other toes. And so I have a pair of boots somewhere in Bali, Indonesia that I designed that have the split toe on them. And, you know, it's one of those, it's kind of cool. That wasn't what the original design was, but that's the, so the rubber piece um, that covers, that, you know, acts as the sole between your foot and, you know, sharp rocks. Um, Those, to get those designed and to get the molds made for them is a little uh, of an involved process, we'll say that. (laughs) And... So I, they weren't going to go and redesign and have a new sole designed for me for, you know, 10 pairs of shoes. Uh, so they're like, so we'll, we can whip some stuff together, and then, but we're going to have to use uh, these lasts. Uh, I think that's what they're called. Uh, a footwear designer that doesn't know really all the terminology. That's only because it's been seven years. Uh, <laughs> so I haven't been doing fashion for a while. Uh, but... So they they mopped them up, they built them out, and they built a pair, and they sent me a bunch of really high resolution photos so I could use them for my uh, my portfolio. And looking back on it, they look pretty silly. They look pretty silly, but you know, <laughs> at the time, it, I mean, and that's that's something that you can t- you can say about any type of fashion. Like think about what when you and I were in high school, the, mm-hmm. the f- motherfuckers wearing the big ass Jinko jeans and shit and the, the chain wallets and, like I think back about that and I'm like man all the cool kids were wearing that shit if, if you didn't have some big ass pants you weren't fucking mm. cool and <laughs> and like I wanted to be so cool and then our parents were like nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> like, you look like a fucking retard <laughs> nope and so so yeah like like that's something that I definitely don't want to revisit and I, I think I think for to to a good degree, I'm probably better off that that I wasn't allowed to be one of the cool kids like that. Mind you, 
whenever I started making my own money and buying all my own clothes, then I turned into my own type of cool kids, uh, which was long, dyed black hair, makeup, and, and fishnets. Uh, but that, yeah, that, that, that's, you, a, that's a different story for a different uh, time. <laughs> you've, 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 you've evolved since then. <laughs> we, we will say that I have evolved since then. I've, I've expanded my consciousness in, in three dimensions as well. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, some some of the styles that we both wore were kind of ridiculous in retrospect. I, you know? I don't know. I, and, I still remember you being more of like jeans and a t-shirt sort of guy, and like button-up shirts every now and then. You know, like jersey. Yep. <laughs> like it, 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 like that's still today kind of what kids are wearing, or at least what kind of what what I've seen uh, out here. Everybody's wearing a hoodie. It, I mean. <laughs> That's Northern California for you, especially this time of the year. Everybody's wearing a hoodie. Uh, in the middle of the year, they're just wearing, you know, t-shirts and jeans, so or mm. shorts or whatever. Uh, uh, you know what? It, our style from back whenever we were kids, though, were, was severely hijacked by a movement that I d- I dare not mention <laughs> because it's so confused with what we adopted ourselves to. And I don't know. It seems like every fashion trend that I loved um, whether you know uh, whether regardless of whatever it was has just been hijacked hardcore you know whenever we were unique and I do mean unique back whenever we were younger like all that stuff now is just so commonplace that I don't even want to go near it like I, I'm just I'm, I'm comfortable with looking normal and 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 um, blending in and just being invisible for the most part like to me that's better than some of the styles that we had back whenever we were growing up are you talking about the emo thing i am talking about oh, the emo God. thing okay so here <laughs> just just so i can get on record my beef with with that term uh so back in the late 90s uh <laughs> like after you had had graduated high school and and gone on to the marine corps and well you you did your your sabbatical in canada and then <laughs> and then came back for a year and did another sabbatical at denny's and then, <laughs> then you went off to the Marines. And so during that time, uh, I was, I really spent a lot of time at local shows in Evansville. Uh, and I got to know a lot of people that were like, it was, it was two or three years before me or kids that were like your age or between our ages that were in bands like ska bands or like local indie rock bands and stuff like that. And oh, the, the, the scene forums. <laughs> yeah, well, that, no, the scene forums didn't come till later. That came whenever I moved back uh, from being gone for a year. But so even before that, we're talking like four or five years before that, th- the idea of there's, there's a late 90s definition of what we, what we call emo rock or emo, E-M-O. You know, the only type of music that's out there that has any sort of emotional content. Uh, and then there's the the 2000s definition of emo. And these are completely different, separate things. Well, though, yeah. though they are linked, they do, it, it does, like, think of, think of, it starts, like, think of a line in your head. It's coming down a line, and then it takes a 45 degree into a different direction, and then it plateaus off again. Uh, well, and they're, they're and and but then think of two different things doing that where they cross in the middle, and there are uh, there was like indie rock and there was like goth rock, and well, it was, 
Go ahead. Go the, ahead. the uh. The way I, I if if I recall correctly, and 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 I'm sure your um, your listeners will will could probably follow along with this, is uh, the true quote unquote goth came from uh, go, um, like goth old school goth uh, bands, you know uh, whether you, you know I will like say uh, that a couple uh, people that may listen to my podcast are going to rip me a new one if I'm talking about the definitions and the. The place in which goth rock <laughs> came from. So well, let's not even talk about where that where that happened because yeah, that's a, it's that's so, a well the the whole goth rock thing like it it, it was it was old school I um got I, I like Sisters of Mercy crew those people you know the Black Bible if you will right and from there like it got it, it, it transitioned and and got absorbed into uh, um industrial type of music the fathers of industrial mm. being KMFDM. You know, uh, gothic dance is what they, they referred to themselves as. Uh, that's, yeah. that's my sound of going. But it, but it like, like that's a real, thing. real loose uh, definition. There's exactly, a lot of problems. A loose with that. definition. You're right, and and it was. It, but it, for the most part, like all those gothic rock, industrial, and even to a certain extent, like like a uh, dark metal, um, and and black metal and. So on they they all went in that same vein, and then somewhere along between like the year two thousand and two thousand two, everything just like it just exploded, you know. You have industrial over here, you have emo over there, you know, and then you have the old school styles and new school styles, but at the same time they're all still the same. But the 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 one group that got to keep all that shit was the emo kids, like uh, us industrial kids, like. We were known as goth kids back then, but now we would have been like, if you, we would look back on it retrospectively, we'd been like more industrial kids back in the day. So, 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 I, I want to get into about, about this emo thing because, like, there, from from my experience, this is kind of how this happened. Uh, like, like I said, before 1997, I don't want to get into any of the definitions of what goth music was before then, because that was before I really got into industrial and mm. goth and like heavy metal and all that. Uh, and and the the term goth in regards to a certain genre of music and a certain sound of it, the sound has evolved over time, and mm. it, and it originated in the late 70s, and it was yep. a post punk. Thi- uh, like branch of music, and punk was also a branch of glam rock, and all of these musics were du- were created and inspired as uh, counterculture to mainstream music that's coming out at the time, and and mm-hmm. eventually they end up linking up with dance music and becoming uh, dark wave and new wave, and they also end up linking up with uh, heavy metal and uh, in- with experimental electronics and, and therefore industrial yeah. starts and so forth. So yeah. all of that. All of that. So, not even talking about that. So, mm. you have you have a couple bands that are... So, in the late 90s, uh, what we thought of as what I jokingly call doom and gloom goth music, or dark pop. Uh, you've got you've got a bunch of bands that are popping up uh, on the East Coast and on the West Coast. A lot of it's happening in L.A. because mm. it's like, oh, ki- all the kids really like hearing some heavy music that's the performers are wearing a bunch of makeup and they've got di- like multicolored hair and all that the cure <laughs> no, well, no, no. Call it. <laughs> no 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 the, the, the cure fall, falls into that 80s stuff uh, and the cure has always just been the cure uh, well I mean, yeah. I mean whatever the cure ended up happening and the cure has kind of added and, and 
given a basis for a lot of bands, but that's a different thing. Uh, no, so so there were a bunch of bands that were starting to pop up out here on the West Coast, and they it, it turned into a fashion thing because mm-hmm. guess what? You can go and buy all of this cool looking cheap clothing at the local Hot Topic. <laughs> and so all these kids started going out and they started putting on makeup to be kind of uh, rebels or to be counterculture. And the music that they're playing is the type of music that kids in their late teens end up like they they're you're you're going through this this physical change and all these hormones and all that that you're <laughs> you're starting to to you feel rejection for the first time. You feel love for the first time, and you want to to you want to put that all into uh, into sa- song, or you want to express yourself and say, "I am feeling something that I have never felt before, and I don't know if anyone else has ever felt it." Hint, newsflash: everyone else has felt this. Everyone else felt it at the exact same time too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> so you end up having the late '90s. Uh, era of hot topic and this turns into a fucking fashion thing that it caused emo <laughs> so you've got bands like Korn and Marilyn Manson back in 1997-1998 which are the two major draws for the hot topic crowd how do I yeah. know because I fucking worked there uh, you forget <laughs> Nine Inch Nails <laughs> well no 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 I'm not even getting into Rob that no, the, the two Pumpkins. bands that actually mattered that sold the most t-shirts yeah, that had the most stickers and all that that were the two biggest money draws there for... were well, it, it was it was a it, it, in 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 my observation it, a lot of these kids they picked a lot of this up because they were wanting to uh piss their christian parents off which oh sure to, to this day i still can't blame them for like oh, yeah. you know because to me christianity is like whenever you indoctrinate a, a child into christianity or for most other religions for that matter um, just the idea of hell is a version of mental child abuse. You know, it gives them nightmares. It makes them think about have nightmares of going to hell or the apocalypse or any different number of things, you know. And so it, it, it's like a PTSD for children um, if they don't adhere to a certain moral code. Well, I, I think I think you could say it really easy by just saying it's you're indoctrinating them with the idea of if you don't do what you're told you will be punished you will be hurt and and that's it that's as simple as it has to be yeah and, and that's it, not that's not it's not think for yourself it's not believe in yourself it's do as you're told yeah exactly and and so again i don't really i don't really blame the whole rejection of christianity um by excuse me rejection of parents by pro- proxy of their religion so on and so forth and it was a wild and tremendous step forward that me and you did not we couldn't observe properly because we didn't have the reference points to it i mean i know i picked you picked up the albums um and and they were fantastic and i started listening to them for me it wasn't a, a rebellion against anybody it was more of I really like this stuff. I really want to bring it in, you know? And, you know, like, I mean, prior to uh, the introduction of Smashing Pumpkins and Nine Inch Nails and and uh, Marilyn Manson, I mean, you remember the kind of music I listened to. I listened to Queen on repeat, you know? Oh, I, I remember <laughs> one of the first records that I remember you owning was Iron Maiden. Um, 
where eagles dare or something like that. And I think whatever that's the problem may be, Clint Eastwood can fix it. Where eagles dare. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I mean that that's that's a lot darker than the stuff I was listening to. And you were listening to that five years before I was listening to any of, of I, the Nightingales of Marilyn Manson. My first CD, <laughs> if you recall, was Cheech and Chong still smoking. But my second CD was Black Sabbath Paranoid. Sure. And yeah. and you know I know I still to this day know the, every word to that album. Oh, dude, I still know every word to that album too. <laughs> it it was it was an amazing album, and re- again, who got that for? Who got those those kind of albums? It wasn't ourselves who picked randomly picked out Black Sabbath, Paranoid. It was our father who who, who was like, here, listen to this, and it was just like, okay. And then uh, and then his reaction once we actually start getting into that type of music was the antithesis of what of what we would expect he wasn't oh yeah you're getting into some led zeppelin that that's great it, was, it wasn't anything like that it wasn't <laughs> it was you you really like ozzy osbourne yeah here let me get you some t-shirts it was it was wipe that makeup off now <laughs> he didn't see that that's or, the thing or, 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 our it, father thought that i was gay all the way up to after i freaking um, graduated high school. Remember, he used to ground me from the computer because I until I went and got on went on a date. <laughs> you go out there and you you go out and you meet some girls. You need to meet some girls. You're like, but I I want to play Doom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he 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 indoctrinated us at, at like for respectively at three and five years old. Sat us down with computer manuals and told us to learn a computer because he was. He was not going to get us a Nintendo, and then oh, lo and behold, ten years later, that. ten years later, whenever we're fucking knee deep into hacking, you know, <laughs> he's just like, "Oh no, now you have to get off the computer, stop li- listening to the music that I gave you, and go out and be a normal person." And we're like, "What the fuck? You just you just had us learn computers, good fucking music, and all of a sudden you want us to be quote unquote normal? These that's we're not the kids." We're the kids that you raised. We're not some normal kid. Yeah. Like, well, you the, raised us to be thankful for ourselves. One, one thing that I think is funny whenever I think about that. By the way, I'm going to get back into the emo thing in a second because I have a lot. I have a real bone to pick about this. But so well, anyway, tangentially back into what we were just not talking about. Thinking about the records. So our, our father had. Oh, and in case anyone hasn't picked this up at this point, listening to this episode of this podcast, I am speaking to my older brother. And it's the day after Christmas, so we we don't talk on the phone very often. We talk on the phone maybe once a year, so I figured figured this was going to be uh, a good enough opportunity to do so. Anyway, so thinking back about his LP collection, so all of his records, mm-hmm. and when we'd go through, like I'd go through and look at him, he had shit like Elton John, he had Queen, and he had all of these like Boston and Chicago and you know looking back at stuff it's kind of like it's like these are some of the classics golden earring yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, oh, yeah he had such a good like lp collection cassette collection like you go back like I mean, he doesn't th- listen to it anymore, some things but that, he that did not collection have. was fantastic i mean records that would go for literally hundreds of dollars today that are probably just sitting on some shelf somewhere that he hasn't listened to in 20 freaking years it is just too, it, it, too busy listening to that garth brooks <laughs> oh, to listen to them Dixie chicks. Mm. God damn it! No, so so like thinking back at, about it, back in the seventies, before you and I are born. So you were born in seventy nine. I was born in eighty two. Back in the early seventies, whenever he had to have purchased these a lot, a lot of these records, 
bands like Queen and their record Sheer Heart Attack. Like, I know enough about that band, and I'm pretty sure that everybody else knew enough about that band at the time to know mm-hmm. that Freddie Mercury was about as gay as they come. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, I mean, I live out here in California. and Their I, band I, name was Queen. You know, I mean, yeah. seriously. <laughs> how, do you, how do you not get this? This is, you know, and, and, okay, so listen to the songs, listen to the words. These are songs that a gay man is writing about his experiences in life. If you didn't know it, if you didn't know it yet, Bohemian Rhapsody is a song about him coming out to his mother. That's what it's about. And it, it, it's, it didn't dawn on me until a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, shit. This is a lot, a lot deeper, a lot heavier than I ever thought. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And you can listen to it a thousand fucking times and it never gets old. Well, I mean, if they put, played it like Christmas music, it'd probably get old pretty quick. But it's one of those things that, like, on, you know, like, light rotation, every now and then I hear Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm like, yes, this is a fantastic fucking song. Or, like, listening to, like, Queen's Greatest Hits, Volume mm-hmm. 2, or, mm-hmm. or like, the, the later half of all of their stuff. Uh, you can listen to that record over and over and over again. It never gets old. And thinking back about the experiences that you and I ended up having growing up and, like, the, the sort of reprimanding we got for being into this or being into that or being interested in this or being interested in that, it, certain things don't quite line up. Like, like what we're saying about, okay, well, here's a band that's fronted by one, one of the clearest, like, like most obviously gay frontmen that's out there. You know, maybe not quite as obvious as Liberace or something like that, but, but pretty fucking clear. And you go, all right, so I'm going to let my kids listen to this. And whenever they start growing their hair out long and start wearing leather jackets and being into glam rock... And going a couple steps further, oh, oh, beyond Queen, he's going to start listening to David Bowie. You know, shit like that. And, <laughs> I, and I, I just don't understand. I just, I, that's the one thing I don't understand about our father. Like, there, there, there was a point, and I don't know where it was, that he went from being, like, the coolest fucking dad to somebody who wanted us to be completely normal. I mean, think about it. You were nine at the time. I was, like, 12. And he was having us memorize musicals. You know, like, this oh, yeah. is a guy. I, I, and like, took, like what? Whenever I was fourteen years, seventeen, we went and saw Les Mis with our dad, and we sat in the fourth fucking row. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, like, <laughs> like <laughs> it, it was a very liberal upbringing, a very liberal upbringing, and then there's somewhere, like, I don't know, I it was in high school somewhere. It was like he completely flipped. No, you can't wear makeup. No, you can't uh, go out and, and 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 you can't play on the computer as much. Uh, no, you have to go out and date girls. You have to go and live a normal life. And it's just like, you I know, think... that's the, we, we've established our normal lives already. It's too late to have a quote unquote normal life. Yeah. So and I, I just don't know where that transition happened. Like I couldn't, I could not identify it. I think whenever around the time that we moved back to Indiana, uh, around that time, there's a lot of stuff going on sociopolitically, like, I would say almost similarly to what's been going on the last couple of years and how, like, as you've told me, he's been watching Fox News more and more and more because he has that much free time. And I think something similar had to have been happening that he's getting, he's hearing a lot of things about the people that are around him. Well, not about them, but from them about the world around him. 
all of us. And, oh, well, them kids are into Satan now. You hear about that Marilyn Manson band? The guy totally, totally sucks his <laughs> own dick on stage. It's it's all fucked up. <laughs> you know, that, and, and it's like, well, I mean, if he did, that'd be pretty fucking impressive because... He, I mean, Marilyn Manson bites the head off chickens. You remember that one? Yeah, went, and it's like, no, 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 no. That was, that was Ozzy Osbourne that did that at a different exactly. show 25 years that, prior. That's, that's how you replied, because our father said, Marilyn Manson bites the heads off chickens, and you were like, no, 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 no. That's Ozzy Osbourne, you know, the guy you freaking made us yeah. listen to. <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe a part like, of it, maybe a part of it was that we hit the age that we no longer needed guidance. Like, assuming assuming uh, positive intent, as we put it in, in my field. Uh, assuming positive intent. Maybe it was that it was a reaction from him of realizing that his sons were no longer uh, following his lead on things, and no longer required his input, his suggestions, or his feedback about what to like or what to dislike or what to celebrate or what, whatever, and mm-hmm. let it, and then all and we around you know everybody around age 13, 14, 15, 16, those ages, everybody they start to kind of come into their own just a little bit. Like I, I'm pretty sure that. There's a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of choices that we as individuals make around that age, uh, going into adolescence, that are going to stick with us for a long time. Maybe not the rest mm-hmm. of our lives, uh, but they're gonna, it's going to stick with us for a while. It's going to be one of those, I am going to make a decision about myself, and I'm going to stick with it for as long as it makes sense. And I think at that point that he saw that starting to happen with you and I, he fucking lost his goddamn mind. No, like, I, and I, don't, I, I, I agree. I'm not saying it, that he flipped out, or I mean, he he quite literally did on a couple occasions. But I think that it, it maybe it turned into that midlife crisis stage because shit. Uh, when I was 14, he turned 40, and yeah. so 14, 15 is him going into his 40s, and he's single again. Uh, living on his own, trying to go out and meet women and stuff like that, and maybe he's getting the sort of feedback from them about, like, maybe they're talking about how they don't like uh, the music that the kids are listening to these days. Well, he, his his dating scene became like the boot scoot and boogie fucking scene because that was the only place where he could really meet women. I mean, let's let's just and face it. Still you have know? not changed. They still and go out to those fucking dance clubs. They do, <sighs> and you know what? They have a lot of fun. I can't like I I don't personally agree with it, <laughs> but I, I mean I know some perfectly gr- good people that go out and do that. But I'm you know his wife is much a of a boot scoot and boogier as he as she is. I I. I have learned to really accept her as my stepmother. She she treats me really good, and she's you know she's what our father needs. However, I just don't agree with his life choices. But if you really think about it, like we were way ahead of our times on all the the NSFW topics, and and it was because he did not hide those things from us. Like like how old were we when we started reading playboys i mean seriously did were they even hidden from us the and the first, answer is no the first they, time i saw pornography and i'll be straight up with this the first time i saw pornography i was either three or four years old and it was because you and our neighbor kid had shown it to me <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you guys are like six years old and you're like oh yeah check this out man 
and then <laughs> and then whenever I was like five or six, I was reintroduced to it, and then after that, it was whenever the Playboys were just like sitting on the shelf. Um, they were, like they, they arrived in the black plastic bag, so you didn't know what it was. Our dad knew what it was, but it like. Like I, I will admit, uh, and this is this is one of these like me like one of those harsh truths about myself that I kind of I I think that me as an individual and like knowing my own trajectory and all the different steps that I've gone through in my life and the choices that I've made and vaguely knowing why I made some of those choices that um, being introduced to pornography at such a young age was a really really bad thing in my opinion and like thinking of myself like i mm, i really wish that i hadn't discovered it until i was in my teenage years or that if i if i could have gone through like like infant through like age 10 or 11 without being introduced to that then then it would have changed a lot of my perspectives uh, going into adolescence uh, and therefore changed a lot of my perspectives as an adult or as a young adult and then as now a guy who's about to turn 35. I I, I got to say that I take the opposite um, 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 approach on this. I am thankful, thankful, mind you, that I was introduced to pornography, uh, talked to about sex, um, and oh, I all never those got to talk. interesting topics at a younger <laughs> age because as I matured, like, I matured, like, uh, by the time that I was 15 years old, like I was more accept, I had a lot of knowledge and I was more accepting of people than than the other kids that we knew that were at our age. Like they didn't they didn't understand like homosexuality or bisexuality, and they and all they and like like they were just taught to hate it. And me and you were we were like, so what? He likes dick. Who gives a flying fuck? You know? I, like I don't. We I have a lot of homosexual I... friends just because. We it it wasn't that it was like it bothered us or didn't bother us. It was more of we just recognize people as people, and if you're going to be our friend, you're going to be our friend. You know, like it wasn't something that we really even gave a shit about. Like, you know, like and whereas other kids, they 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 were just taught to hate homosexuality. You know, and and people of different types of sexuality. Like we we already knew like the basics even of like fetish type stuff before any kids knew were like oh my god i just you know got out of missionary position like we were so well educated on it and it made us so much better adults whenever we hit adulthood i i, I don't disagree and, with you on that but i don't think i i don't actually think i understood like i mean it, it's not a lot to understand but i don't think i really fully grasped the concept of homosexuality until i was a teenager and I think even then it was slow for me to to get into it because, I mean, I hate to say it, but so many of the the and very rarely would I meet a uh, homosexual woman um, or girl or young lady. Whenever I was a teenager and shortly thereafter, it was really rare. Um, mm. List list of them that I could that I I knew I probably counted on I could count on one hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because and, it wasn't a common thing back then yeah, for people well, to be out of the closet. Exactly, and where we were at, you know. I mean, we knew we had a mutual friend named Rocky, and I think that was the first non-family member that I knew that was homosexual. And he was what, like thirteen? He was my you, age. Yeah, he was really he real young, like. Um, 
see, this is where me and you differ. Like on my, on my maternal side, as opposed to your maternal side, like uh, homosexuality was 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 open. Like I, I like um, I don't I, to give the viewers a quick a quick idea of what I got I got exposed to early on, and I do mean early on, is I had an aunt. Her name was Aunt Laura. Well, I no longer have an Aunt Laura. I have an Uncle Lee, hmm. and it's one of those things of of you know this was this it's it's okay because people love who they love and regardless of what physical features you know and and different different people have different tastes and different people you know and none of it's necessarily wrong because for every person who's got that taste somebody else has got um uh, the matching puzzle piece sure and 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 i learned that way at a young age and i learned to appreciate it from people like our friend Rocky, you know, because who are we going to talk to about sex, you know, outside of like our parents and each other, you know, and those friends who were sexually mature, you know, it was just like, okay, well, explain to me this concept because I just don't get it, you know, um, explain to me attraction, explain to me this, you know, and it was, you know, and even again, even then it was such a gigantic leap forward that we're, we, every, every every place where we should have been three steps behind where we were, we are three steps in front of where you would think we, we should have been at, at the max, you know? And so, yeah, we matured a, a lot faster. And again, by the time we hit adulthood, like 18, 21, like we were so much, we were dramatically different. Like, like, um, from any of anybody, like some of our best friends that we had, whether they were our own best friends or our mutual best friends, you know, they were very immature. They, uh, whenever it came to sex, they were very plain spoken. You know, um, I hate we to ha- say it, but most of those people to this day are the same way. No, absolutely. And see, here's the thing: is like, that's that's what I'm saying. Is it was so good for us to have that because without that liberal upbringing, without you know knowing those those different concepts that we had as children, you know, like. Look at what we could have been like, and that's well, to me kind of scary. To a certain degree, I, 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 I agree with you, but I also disagree with you. I think that with the the right type of support structure, parental support structure, uh, that you and I could have had uh, in our teenage years, then being introduced to these ideas, uh, it could have been held off until we were, you know, ten, eleven, twelve years old, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it with with the right type of conversation, like saying, "Oh, yeah, so Aunt Laura isn't gonna be Aunt Laura anymore. She's now gonna be uh, Uncle Lee, and he is like like that's a certain type of conversation that you that I think that you can probably have with a twelve year old, and they'll kind of get it. They'll be like, "Oh, okay," and then they probably won't give a shit, but. I don't think that you have to be introduced to these ideas super early so for someone to actually understand the concept of it. I think that it's it's the delivery method. For me, like I, I agree with you and I disagree with you. Maybe we were introduced to it a little bit early, but at the same time, it was I, I don't know because for me, um, you know, um, I may be a little bit different, but I think that a lot of a lot of what we learn is imprinted on us, and there's a certain age to where once that imprint is is imprinted on us, we are going and let, outside of a chasm, a cataclysmic, whatever cataclysmic, yeah, event in our lives. 
we are going to have that same shell for the rest of our lives. Sure. And I think that 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 kids who are who they should learn about um, sexuality and and relationships, love, those kind of topics before they get that finish that imprint because you know a lot of kids not right now um, or a lot of adults right now they imprinted incorrectly or not completely and they're not to me they're not they're still not mature again i reference some of our older friends you know had they had they had gotten that full imprint they would be different people than what they currently are well, you so- know um yeah we could have we could have held out a lot longer but I mean, much longer. I definitely would have. And even then, like you, we got this at the same time. You're two years younger than I am. So you got this a little earlier than I did. But I was probably on the cusp, whereas you were a couple of years early, you know. Well, so here's you I, are more you're more mature about a lot of these topics than even I am. Well, and I, I can admit that. Well, after after our conversation yesterday about some of the Christmas <laughs> gifts. Um, so, no, no here's, here's what I was going to say. Uh, I think a, a lot of parents that I see out there don't want to take responsibility for the – and maybe it's a, it's a completely here every generation. Um, certain parents don't want to take uh, responsibility for the upbringing of their own children. And, like, the – so how, how can I say this? Whenever you see – like, you and I, I think – there were certain ideas that were introduced to us not by our parents um but by other people like our friends or friends parents or or whoever and Mm. i mean certain things shouldn't be introduced by third parties like really the parents should be the ones taking the uh taking those initial steps into teaching their children about whatever subject Mm. especially especially when it comes to sex and it's I, I believe that it's a it's a conscious decision and it's it's a conscious plan that you kind of it's, it's almost like a philosophy that's saying okay well uh, we don't well I don't believe in this um, religious sort of uh, structure because of these reasons but if you my child decide find some truth or find something that works for you then absolutely go for it. Uh, there's nothing that's going to change a relationship in, unless stuff gets out of hand because in some cases the stuff can kind of get out of hand. But when it comes to sexuality, I think that it, it should be something that's like, okay, I'm going to talk to the kids about sex or like in, introduce them like you know prior to age 10 uh, about the idea of what is sex. I mean, if, if even that late, I think the, the best way to introduce it uh, prior to that is if you if you're talking about it in a bi- biological sense because all the kids they have this this question of hey mommy where do your babies come from <laughs> and so it's the like, whole stork story in, they should never come yeah, up because it, 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 it's, well, it's the same it's the same difference as the santa claus story. and same thing as a fucking easter bunny and shit like that yeah so i mean why do that whenever it's like the truth the truth if you just get it out there and out front it's so much easier to deal with later on Absolutely. Uh, like if, if you're like, okay, so if you start at like a really weird biological level, because maybe, maybe kids are going to have a, uh, a weird reaction to the idea of mommy and daddy having sexual uh, intercourse. But because that's, I mean, I'm an adult and that's, and I know that's fucking weird. <laughs> like, it's, it's, like, it's like, okay, so what goes where? It's like, okay, well. The conversation should be, okay, well, so uh, boys and girls, uh, generally, most of the time, 
have different parts. Uh, like they look different. They they're like mommy and daddy physically look different. They're, they're not identical twins. Uh, hopefully, because that'd be kind of weird. Uh, we all do that anyway, because you know, we're, whenever we're kids, you know, mom and dad would throw us in the, into the bath with them. But yeah, yeah, like yeah. we already already knew that. Yeah. So now, I rem- I remember being the where things belong conversation. I don't know if you even know this, but I got that from my half sister on my mom's side. And like I was, I one day I was just like, I just don't fucking get it. <laughs> and the conception that I had prior to that um, was based on like the visual assessment of parts on other people. Whenever I was like five and you were like three, yeah. living in Watton, Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so- and I was totally wrong. And my sister told me it in a very matter of factly sense, and it was just like, oh, huh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like- like, I, don't, I don't know I don't know when I fully understood the concept of sex. I never I never got the talk. Never got, okay, so here are the birds yeah, and bees. I never got it from I never got it from our father. Um I got I in my 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 mother was in the car. I, we were in this old Cadillac and I was just like, "Okay, I got to know I know this and I know this, but how does this all work together?" And instead of my mom speaking up and talking to me about it, my sister (laughs) gave it to me. My sister, who's four years younger than me, I was like 10, 11 years old, something like that. Whenever my, whenever my sister just, just railed it out to me. And I'm like, I never, I just, I had no idea. Is this right? And my mom's like, yep, that's right. I think, I think with, with me, it was, it fell into the pornography thing of seeing the videos that we found in our parents' bedroom. Um, (laughs) Hey, the if, hey, coach. Yeah, <laughs> hey, mom, hey, mom and pop, we found some videos in your bedroom. Um, so because because we we were we were boys and we were in all the things. Um, so we we knew where everything was. But so I th- I think seeing those, it was like oh so that's how that's that's mechanically how things work, and then understanding the the kind of biology behind it. I think understanding the biology first going, okay, well, so this, this is what happens inside of mommy, inside of mommy's belly. Uh, like this thing happens or with most people, because you know, there are some people that are born other ways with most people, this little thing and this little thing, they do these things. Okay. But how do you get there? Okay. So mommy and daddy, how they have different, you know, and I think that's, that's like, if you talk about it, a matter of fact, it controlled a very controlled matter of fact way that it's not meant to be funny. It's meant to be like, oh yeah, this is mechanically how this works. Like if you're talking about the engine on, on a car. Okay, so yeah. this goes here, these things go back and forth and do this, and then the car goes vroom and goes forward. Um, <laughs> which actually, when you put it that way, isn't much different than sex. Um, so, so, but but I, I, uh, I think that a lot of parents, they don't want to have that responsibility or they don't fucking understand how to have that responsibility because they yeah, didn't have that happen friends, with them. Especially whenever, because remember nowadays, that's a topic that's not taboo. Um, back in the day, whenever we lived out in BFE, Oklahoma, oh, uh, yeah. you know, parents were just afraid to have that talk because, you know, they would be considered bad parents or something. I don't know. But they, they just were, they just genuinely would not would not have those conversations with their kids. I mean, the idea of sexual education in general was oh, was yeah. over the fucking top. Like it, it was such a taboo thing just to even know like the mechanics of it. Like you know, like even to this day, the idea of teaching a, a, 
uh, teenagers about how to appropriately put on a condom is 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 outlandish, and it's a lot better today than what it was twenty, almost thirty years ago. I know. Have you, so statistically speaking, because I see this stuff pop up all the time. Come to find out, in places where there are Planned Parenthoods and where uh, where people are taught about pro, uh, procreation and they're taught about contraception and they're provided with things like condoms because I hate to say it, but kids are going to go fuck. <laughs> they're, they're, that's just what they do. Like if, mm -hmm. if you're, if, if you're between the ages of 13 and 19, you're probably out there fucking around. And, or you want to be, yeah. Or you want to be, or you totally want to be, and you want to find someone who's going to get your rocks off in the way that you want to happen. And you want to find someone you're compatible with. And mm -hmm. that's fucking everybody. Well, yep. maybe not everybody. But again, there are always the outliers. Um, mm -hmm. But like in in these places that have uh, contraception, have really good health programs, and that are saying, okay, well here's here's how this works. We're going to give like the girl. You can be sixteen. Like you have to be of a certain age. You come into this clinic. You say, hey, I want to be on birth control. We say, okay, we're going to figure this out, and they give you birth control. And in some places, you don't have to have parental approval for this. And mm -hmm. In most of these places, they will, they'll be like, all right, well, you need to be wearing condoms because it's a health thing. It's like a disease thing, but also mm. it'll prevent the babies because ooh, chances are you probably don't want the babies until you're ready to have the babies. My wife mm. and I, we are, she's almost 31 this next year, and I'm almost 35 in a couple months, and uh, we are still trying to figure out when we're going to be ready for babies, and we've been married <laughs> for four years. So, but, but, so... Back to the parents thing, they don't have the, they're not taking that responsibility to talk to their kids about any of this stuff, which is mm -hmm. bullshit. Like, yeah, it is. Like, I, the nearest thing that I ever got to having a talk from, from my parents, uh, I should be clear, you and I have different mothers. Mm. Uh, and the nearest thing was one night, uh, we had a Cub Scout sleepover. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> we had a Cub Scout sleepover, and it was Cub Scouts, folks. It, this is Cub Scouts. Yeah, this is, this is what, what's yeah. the age difference? Uh, it's like twelve. Yeah, it was like twelve, uh, maybe earlier than that, like eleven. Uh, I think it's. I think we were Weeblos. Anyhow, <laughs> Weeblos. <laughs> yeah. Well, none, none of that was going on, but uh, so I was like, "Hey guys, you want to check this out?" And I was showing them all the Playboys, and. One of the motherfuckers went and ratted me out to his mom. Oh, I remember that. And I was, that was whenever we got that shit taken away from yeah, us. Yeah, I was real pissed. And that's, when, that, that, that's whenever the, the passcode was put on the Playboy channel. <laughs> real pissed. I still remember that passcode to this day. <laughs> I, I, I don't ever remember having it, so I was I was real pissed. It's like, what is it, uh, the, the memes that you see on the internet, you know, talking about kids. It's like kids in the 90s, and it shows like a, an encoded satellite signal of all the grainy lines and static <laughs> and shit. It's like, it's like, only if you were a kid in the 90s do you know what, what this is. And it's and like you see all the comments like, oh shit, man, I remember that. It's like every now and then you can see a tit, you know. <laughs> that passcode lasted for what, maybe a month before we figured it out? Like it, I, it, it, like I said, you. I think you had the passcode, and you were every now and then you're like, "Here, I'll go ahead and turn this on. Let you watch it. I'm gonna go outside." And I, I was like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> and like, I I don't remember ever having it. So, <laughs> man. Well, <sighs> we, it, we were watching. Oh God, it was it was some R-rated movie. It was like Die Hard or something. 
And one of our father came home, and that's how he figured out that one of us had hacked the passcode. <laughs> like, wait, like, wait a second. How did you guys figure that out? And I remember being like, figure what out? <laughs> this, was, this was unlocked whenever he got here. We, we just said, hey, look, it's, it's Die Hard. Like, yeah, but I'm... I'm and what you realize is that your parents are probably a little bit smarter than you give them credit for. <laughs> yeah. It really give, gives you the look of, you're bullshitting me, aren't you? So, hmm. I mean, you think about it. Our, our father taught us how to do stupid crap like break passwords. Like... It, 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 we knew it was four digits, and, the, and there's only so many memorable four digits that we could come up with. <laughs> so, oh, fair enough. you know, like it, it, it didn't take very long, you know, especially if we sneak to peek whenever he's pushing in the code. Kind of, kind of like you look over and he's got his hands over. He's like, "What? What the fuck are you looking at?" And you're like, "What? Uh, nothing. There was uh, something behind you, and it was." I was looking flashy. at that book at the bookshelf. <laughs> I'm gonna. I guess I'm. I'm gonna go outside now. Uh, man. Uh, okay, so so we've been we've been talking for about an hour and a half. Uh, I want to make sure that I can get in the what is it the uh, the the, the tri- oh, no no well okay let's clear up the emo thing and then let's let's finish up the trifecta over the NSFW NSFW uh, topics. Uh, so the emo thing. So uh, and I'll make it fast. So in the late '90s, you have uh, effectively bands like Corn and Marilyn Manson, which are are borrowing a lot of uh, glam rock stuff that mm. came up in the '70s and '80s, and they're borrowing that and they're making it new again. And all the people at fucking Hot Topic are selling the shit. I should know because I helped sell a lot of it and I helped buy a lot of it. And I yeah, way Hot Topic. Shit. When, about the time you started working there, within three year, years of you working there, it was a different store completely. Like yep. whenever, like you're, um, I'm not making to reference to anything specific, air quotes uh, here, but um, whenever you started working there, it was it was it was um, you know the skull rings and the claw rings and yeah. the bracelets you know well, it was all cl- it was it was here we're gonna we're gonna sell hair some dye. some clothing and hair dye and jewelry and you're gonna look like a rock star and then it with with whenever i left it had transitioned over to here's a my little pony t-shirt and here's some 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 toys for some random franchise and t-shirts with words on them and they still had the band t-shirt the uh, band t-shirt yeah, wall they still the, have it today the band, but it's the really, band t-shirt really small. wall was like was like a six by six display whenever you started working there oh by the no time it wasn't oh stopped, no 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 it, no it, it was wasn't. like the whole fucking wall it was, it was the whole fucking wall the entire time that it, it, it transitioned from being band t-shirts to being half wrestling t-shirts and half band t-shirts and then transitioned <laughs> it, they lost the wrestling thing because wrestling wasn't cool anymore and they switched over to more of the novelty t-shirts that were that they like the licensed tees with He-Man and Voltron and Go Cat. Well, excuse me, Thundercats and and GI Joe and whatever stuff for kids our age that are about to go into college. That are like, oh yeah, man, I remember this stuff growing up. I'm gonna get this T-shirt for when I go into college. Mm-hmm. So and, and that was a big part of it. But so I left Hot Topic in 2001. Like right, like we'd already had. Well, so. What was happening also at that same time? So it transitioned from like this doom and gloom, heavy metal, rock and roll, MTV shit to the rave scene and rave culture. So everybody's got like the little, little like fucking globe bracelets and the big ass fucking um, neon fluorescent pants. So it's like Whoa. it's like the Jinkos, but they're made out of a nylon and they're 
huge indiglo orange. Um, so like shit like that. Parachute pants to Jinkos back to parachute pants. Exactly. Well, no, 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 no. These these didn't like like so parachute pants. Uh, like cinched at the at the ankle. These still didn't cinch at the ankle, so they were clo- they were closer. I mean, it was like the material of parachute pants, but the style of the Jinkos. Uh, so it, it transitioned to the rave culture with all the fur and like candy bracelets and shit like that. Um, but it, it, it was like Hot Topics always looking for was always looking for what was what was cool, what was hip at the time, and then and then after that, and I mean, I know so internally the stuff that happened with the company and when they finally turned the corner in, into the emo Didn't stuff. they get bought out by Playboy or something? No, they they're, they were they were purchased a couple of years ago, uh, 2012, I think. I must be thinking of Suicide Girls. Uh, they may have been. <laughs> like, I... That, that's... I'd say that's a topic for another conversation. Um, mm. I, I know I know entirely too much about the early days of that stuff too, uh, and I have a couple friends who used to be models. And yeah, we all have friends yeah. who used to be models. So yeah, 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 apparently they've got like five thousand girls who've been on that at this point. I'm just like, at, at, at some point you've just seen all the boobs, and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I just don't care anymore. But uh, so so with Hot Topic, they they rounded a corner in 2003 ish. Uh, between 2001 and 2003, they kind of started taking the steps through college indie rock into what became emo. Uh, and that's when they started getting back all the black clothing and they started getting... But it wasn't the high-quality, like, like goth-looking stuff, which is a little more interesting and kind of futuristic mm-hmm. and... Uh, well, in some cases, futuristic, especially if you're talking about... Crushed velvet, instead of crushed velvet cloaks, they had goofy like faux leather bullshit well it, or it was like a, a twill denim coat that trench coat that was covered in in pyramid spikes and you're just like are you fucking kidding me and like straps and buckles it's like um that's you're going a little bit far with that uh but so there were so at the same time and and again like you're right when you're saying about 2003 because it was it was the year before i moved out here to california uh the so what ended up happening was a lot of people, well, a lot of these bands out here on the West Coast started writing music to be like, okay, well, we want to make this stuff that's that's going to, like, guys in bands is really where I'm getting with this. Guys in bands writing music and being lead singers or writing, trying to write music that's going to get the girls to come see them. They're not writing angry stuff that's like, ah, I'm going to play a bunch of loud fucking crazy bullshit music that's rah they're not doing that they're going yeah i'm gonna sing to my girl or my girl left me and i'm gonna sing about that but i want to put some heavy stuff on and i want to want to wear some eye makeup and some black and (laughs) you know that's what they started doing and okay so that type of music sort of already existed in college rock and indie rock and that was in the late 90s and we we thought of it as indie rock um, it was Jimmy. Was it Jimmy Eats World or what was that? Jimmy that World. So, so there is a band called Jimmy Eat World, and Jimmy Eat World was a part of late '90s indie rock, uh, <laughs> and it was referred to at like people called it emo rock. Uh, and then, like, so, so whenever you start thinking of 2003 and later emo, you're thinking of bands like AFI and a bunch of fucking bands that I don't care to fucking remember their names because they're all Thursday. Fucking... Well, no, 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 that was, that was, that was still kind of that, that mid college rock, indie rock. And it, it became a, a fashion thing and it was, okay, so we're going to kind of do a little, it's like, okay, we're the bands in 2003 and later that were called emo are inspired both by 
whether or not they know it, whether or not they they were aware, they were both inspired by the college rock and indie rock sort of stuff for style, but they're inspired by the heavy metal and glam rock and shit like that from uh, from the other side, and that, mm-hmm. for, for vi- their visual representations. And they're like, oh, well, this is really striking, and this is this will get a lot of attention. It's like, sure, it will. You, you look like a fucking idiot. Trust me, I know. I look I looked like a fucking idiot. And and the thing that always pissed me off after that is oh yeah you look kind of emo and I'd be like motherfucker (laughs) just like I I come from a different generation of wearing eye makeup and wearing all black and having Mm -hmm. long black hair and I come from a a completely different generation a much more angsty much more I will punch you in the face if you ever call me emo again type of generation (laughs) and I actually had to tell that to a couple people like because they they were trying to make a big deal about like yeah he looks like so emo and I'm like uh, like I like look totally look totally so goth. Like weren't you around in eighteen ninety six? The problem the problem so. is is that we as quote unquote goth kids would say, Oh, we don't like to be identified with goth. You know, we, we're we're independent. <laughs> we are just who we are. Such, so we literally bullshit. just gave them the title. We gave them the entire style because we were too too self absorbed to say, No, this is ours, you're not fucking taking it. Fuck off. That's that's the that was I think where the problem lies. I don't know. I I don't know. I at this point, you know, it's been fuck fifteen years. Yep. Since since I was in my heyday of of doing all that, like every now and then I'll come across pictures like friends of mine will send me pictures that they took of me back then, <laughs> and I'm just like, God, I look like a goddamn moron. But it's okay, <laughs> you know, like you're 19, like you're you're you are you are given. A free get out of jail. Well, a get out of jail free card for looking like a fucking moron from ages like fifteen through like twenty. You were in the nineties. You you wore you, you you pretty much had like four styles. Like you had like the typical athletic jock style. You had like the preppy kid style. You had like uh, the punk style, and then you had like goth. I mean, yeah, yeah you I had the, the Dungeons and Dragons kids too, but you know, like, well, they, they try to fall into the goth thing too. They, 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 you could use them more of a control group than, than you know, the rest of us, you know, and yeah, it just everything like stuff just started like the punk and the goth scene melded almost, and then it just yeah. exploded all over everybody's fucking faces. Yeah, so, kind of, kind of and, in a big, really, really sad, depressing sort of way. <laughs> yeah, and and, and and like one of the greatest things that I ever remember watching um, the transition of is um, you and one of your one of um, he, I just met him at that time. I think that was the first time I ever met this particular friend. I will just refer to him as JW. Okay. Uh, um, this particular friend and you, because you were full on goth. Um, and he was full on preppy, or at least that's what he looked like. You remember the clothes swap there? Oh yeah, that was a funny day. That was a great. Okay, so day. so for anyone listening, okay, so there was one day um, around. So ninety five, ninety six. No, it was in ninety eight. Uh, I was a junior, so or end of my sophomore year. No, it must have been the end of my sophomore year. It was like right around the time that I had started working for Hot Topic. Um. So one day I decided 
with my best friend James, who we've already mentioned today, so I'll just his name is James, um, and to this day he and I are still uh, very very close friends. We don't we don't really talk very much. We talk about as much as you and I do, um, but he and I stay in contact and like I, I think we generally kind of know what's going on with each other because things don't really change that much. Uh, but so James and I decided like we met in uh, algebra class in my freshman year of high school and he was a sophomore and we turned very quickly turned into the two class clouds and uh ended up hey check this out we're gonna loop the podcast back around to star wars uh we ended up bonding and becoming best friends over uh, a, lo a mutual love of star wars because in 97 they did the re-release of the original trilogy in the theaters they were all, the all cleaned up and it was before they did the special edition where they changed all the little scenes here and there and added stuff it was hey we're gonna do a, a, a re-release because we found the old the original negatives uh we we reprocessed everything we cleaned everything up and it looks as good as it did back in the uh late 70s early 80s and we're gonna put it back in the theaters uh for a week for each one and we're gonna do one a month or one a month for may june july uh in 2007 and that following year they started really doing all the special editions and so he and i would walk from my mom and i's apartment on way north green river road We'd walk from there all the way down to, to Showplace Cinema at uh, Morgan Avenue, and we'd go see Star Wars. And from then on, we we're super, super good friends. Uh, and like, like, I I ended up being the best man in his wedding in 2011, and he came out here for my wedding in 2012. I didn't have a best man or anything like that. We we didn't do that type of wedding. Um, but so like, like we're, we've stayed super close. Anyway, so in, because um, it, was, it was, I had bleached out my hair for the first time. Like that picture that you, you've posted and tagged me on Facebook of me <laughs> with all the makeup on and like the, the yellow straw colored hair because I didn't do it right. Um, and like all the makeup holding on. The cake holding that I the made cake you. <laughs> that says big N-I-N on it because I was way into Nine Inch Nails then. Uh, it was around the same time. Uh, I think it was probably within a few weeks or maybe the same week as my birthday. Uh, but I ended up borrowing a pair of his Jinko skunks. It was a certain style and it, it had just a black, it had black and white stripes, like long vertical stripes uh, on the outside of the jeans. And they were like khaki colored and like down the side seam, they've got the this like long black and white sh long stripes on. And I borrowed a black Adidas uh, long sleeve t-shirt that had the three stripes from the neck down the shoulder down the uh, side seams of the arms and he wore one of my Nine Inch Nails t-shirts and a pair of like black jeans uh one day like to school and we we totally were just like fucking around because you know that's what what 16 year olds do <laughs> I got so much shit from so many people like there were <laughs> there were kids that were part of like the doom gloom groups culture whatever people i wasn't actually friends with um that were like straight up calling me a fucking poser like i always knew you're a fucking poser get the fuck out of here with that shit yeah whatever i'm just like <laughs> you don't get the joke you haven't seen james today have you it's that sort of thing and of course the next day i show up in like fucking thrashed cargo shorts and like a an old bike lock as a belt <laughs> sort of thing <laughs> like 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 just just it, like the one of the links was just in the right 
place to fit my waist, which was like a 28 at the time. Oh my God, that's like six inches difference right now. Um, no, I'm okay. Sorry, no, four inches. I think I'm a 32 now. Uh, but oh man, it was it was fucking crazy, and I, I kept getting shit from people because of that. I had a couple teachers like, oh, oh, you decided to, to dress down today, huh? I was like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, no, it, it's a joke. Don't worry about it. So, um, dude, I thought you looked fucking. I thought it was a. It was a badass precedent that was not out there. Like, um, I don't want to say cross dress, but you were kind of cross culture dressing, you know, where you still retained a lot of the style, but you, you you changed it, and and like it was one of those first times that I ever saw like two cultures meld into one, which really really inspired me, if you recall. Like, like I you I was having. I, I was part of two different cultures. I was part of the, the jock culture and the goth culture. You know, wearing the, the electric blue fucking fingernail polish and fucking doing my fro into fucking crazy ponytails and shit all over the place. And and so everybody thought I was fucking gay. You know? And and so it was like, I'd wear one or the other, you know, depending on what kind of what day of the week it was, if there was a football game or some shit like that. You know? And so next thing you know, I'm fucking... I got... It'd be the equivalent to Under Armour today, but you, I had that shit that, that went under it, and I would wear like the the bottoms of the equivalent to what the, what are those pants called that Hot Topic um, sold? Um, the ones with the chains and shit. I can't think of them. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. So I'd wear the no, short. That, that would have been a brand. Like I mean, I I could I could try to figure out what brand it was, but yeah, I don't think it's worth it. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So I'd wear the shorts with that. I'd wear the the. Equivalent to Under Armour, you know, like uh, spandex shirt, spandex fucking pants, wear a fucking bit, a pair of combat boots, and and like I'd be fully fucking gothed out, but I'd have a fucking jersey on, and I'd be like, you you know what, fuck you, <laughs> like I would just walk up to random people, you don't like it, fuck you, you know, and it was such an inspiration, and and like like that's my identity is 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 I don't really give a fuck what you fucking think. You know, because this looks badass as fuck. Fuck off. And from then on, it was just like everybody else was just trying to fit into their little culture groups. And I don't know. It was we were on the cutting edge. I felt, you know. So. Well, we may have been on the cutting edge for <clears throat> 1998. <but laughs> yeah, exactly. I, but I, I, th- I think we're we're no longer on that cutting edge. Cause well, you were I, one I, of the first I still don't have a Snapchat, damn. and I don't ever plan on getting a Snapchat. Just saying. <laughs> but you were on the cutting edge of glam, and like, and for and in all kinds of other shit for years. And whenever we got our titles basically stolen from us from by the emo kids, you know the only people that actually looked fucking you know, pimp as fucking and, and right after everything got jacked was like people like you and me who went out and created our own styles. Which I always, to me, I kind of hold that as like a trophy moment, you know. Like my style wasn't fucking jacked. Maybe yours was. So yeah. fuck up, you know. Yeah, maybe. Well, hey, so uh, we're approaching the two-hour mark on this. Yeah. In case you hadn't noticed, uh, yeah, I want. We got about ten minutes before the two-hour mark. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at my call recorder about one fifty-five right now. Um, so I wanted to to, to make sure we we actually had the the full trifecta 
of NSFW uh, topics uh, mentioned tonight. So I think that's a good opportunity to talk about your new little project that you're trying to push uh, through oh, the yes, podcast politics. that you want to do. Because, so, I'll just let you go ahead and explain it in your words so it's it's not me trying to paraphrase. No, 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 I, I appreciate that. Um, no, um, I'm running, it's actually going to be a video cast. Um, I'm trying to put together the parts for a studio for um, to start doing a, a political discussion. I'm referring to the show as the progressive veteran. Obviously, you guys, um, the audience, know that I'm a veteran. And I'm very much into liberal and progressive politics. Um, and I have a lot to say about that. Not everybody agrees with me, even on my side of politics. A lot of people think that I'm some sort of traitor to the to it. it but I have a, this take of if we're not realistic, if we're not tacticians, then we're going to have not four years of Donald Trump. We're going to have eight years. And who knows what might come after that because – um, we're not, we're, I don't, I want to make a show that's, that, that is politically educational and doesn't just tell you what the talking points are, but makes you think about why these things are right. Like, you know, you got a lot of people out there who, who are like universal healthcare is great. Gay rights is great. Well, okay. I know they're great, but can you tell me why they're great? And a lot of them are just like, uh, uh, um, um, no, why are they great? And then, and then I try to tell them and then they're like, I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, you're right, you know. And so, what I try to do is, I um, not only am I progressive, but I'm I, I I go I go further and push them push people to the limits of their of their thought processes. I make them think. Um, you know, I'm not just talking points. I go well above um, above and beyond. Uh, one of my one of the first segments I want to put together. For example, and this is just a small preview, is something called UBI, which most liberals have never even heard of. It's UBI, for those who don't know, stands for Universal Basic Income. And real, real quick, an aside, uh, I mentioned this concept to my boss, my manager, uh, my company, like this last week, just like we were talking about politics for a second. It's like, did you hear about this, this UBI stuff that's going on? And she's like, yeah, that's fucking communism. <laughs> and, and like thinking back on it, I'm like, she doesn't really understand what communism is. Then, if she thinks that universal basic income is communism, no, a lot of people yeah. don't understand that, and that's that's where where I come in, and I say, okay, no, this is just a basic income. It, it essentially is welfare for all. But here's the thing: is everybody gets a universal basic income? You know, those people who decide to go out and get jobs, whether they be minimum wage or the equivalent to. Or whether they go get a, a good a minimum a middle class job, or if they want to excel in say banking or business or lawyer, doctor, so on and so forth, they're going to still get that basic income, but they're going to get whatever they work for on top of it. And so what it does is essentially gets rid of that minimum wage gap, so everybody can afford to live, and not you know the unemployment uh, insurance issues won't ever be a problem. You know if you if you um, you know, if you're, you're 21, 22 in the middle of college, money is not a problem. You know, you so, can afford an apartment and stuff like that. Like, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, that they're, they, that our economy is so screwed and so messed with right now that it's one of those things of there are literally, there's literally more houses and apartments than there are in a population of the United States. So we each could have our own place to live. But the problem is, is that, 
is that you you have these astronomical house prices and you're not making an income whenever you're 20, 21 years old, you know, and you're working point out 80 hours a week just to get a, a shitbox apartment. You I'm know? just going to point out real quick that I happen to live in the most expensive part of the country to live in. So, yeah, I know all about not being able to afford rent. Now, like, if I may, like, to kind of to, to poke one of the holes of UBI, and it's something I've been thinking about, is... And I know I realize this because this is what happened with me going to college and why I have a ridiculous amount of student debt. If anyone, and just this is for for audience, uh, if anyone wants to whine about their twenty, thirty, or fifty thousand dollars of student debt, <laughs> I'm sorry, but <laughs> you, you obviously didn't go to a private art school in San Francisco for, for uh. six years. So get get back to me whenever you're. Whenever you've paid off your student debt, then, then I'll let you know where, where I'm at with mine. <laughs> so anyway, um, but no, so what ended up happening, and one reason why uh, the price of college went up, or at least theorized, what some people believe the reason why the price of, uh, of university education has increased over the last 20 years, is because the federal government made it much, much easier for people to get student loans. Uh, and they it just kind of like the housing market where it's like oh well you're not entirely qualified to get this loan for a hundred thousand fucking dollars not saying that anyone gets that for a student loan um it takes several of them to get that much um but like saying okay well you're an 18 year old kid you don't know shit from shit and we're going to give you twenty thousand dollars to go to school on it's like like 20 years ago or 30 years ago Fuck it, like, for the value of the dollar then versus now, whatever that equivalent would have been, which is maybe half, they're not going to give a fucking kid $10,000 in in credit to to go to college. It's like, we'll give you $2,000, and you got to figure out the rest of the shit. And because the federal government has, become, has made it easier to give away money, and because banks or financial institutions uh, like, like Sally Mae uh, or some of these other uh, student loan companies are so willing to give away $15,000 a year to students to go to school. It's created, it like all of a sudden schools go, or especially like the private ones, like the one I went to, went, oh wait, the students have more disposable income. So that means that they can pay a higher tuition, right? They can pay a high, higher tuition, so we can get we can get more money because the students are getting more money. It's it's not it's not they're not worried about the students getting money so that the students can afford rent as well as college. Like that was what my plan was. Is like okay, well, I want to take out uh, take out loans so that I can work part time and I can go to school full time and focus on stuff and, and actually do good work. But that's not what ended up happening. I ended up going to school full time and later on part time. Uh, and but working full time the entire time to barely be able to afford an apartment in San Francisco because my tuition was so fucking high, and so the thing that I worry about with universal basic income is that it's like oh hi we're gonna give you fifteen hundred dollars a month. It's just a nice round number. It's and you're worried about inflation. Well, and... well, so no, so so what's to say that the people that own the property that you're trying to rent the landlords or the, the leasing companies. Like, I live in a, an apartment community, so I deal with a leasing company, but I've, li I've lived in places where I'm renting from an individual before. And who is to say that they're not going to go, oh, so every tenant 
every person living in an apartment, doesn't matter if it's a one for one, one person for one apartment, but every person living in every apartment now has an extra $1,500 a month. So we can afford to raise the rent a little bit because we want to bring in a little bit more money. And what's that, that turns into a really slippery slope that pretty soon that $1,500 a month doesn't mean fuck all. It's it's all of a sudden it's it's like you had it and then it's gone. It's like okay, well your rent went from fifteen hundred dollars a month, which hey your UBI takes care of. No, now your rent's three thousand dollars a month. No, and no, go, and, and that's wait, absolutely what? a worry because again it goes back to inflation. Well, the thing is you can't give. And this has been a major discussion um, between me and other very liberal people. Many of them not even living in the United States have discussed. <laughs> Um, how do you fix that problem? And and there's been a lot of really excellent ideas about how to limit the or limit that, you know, um, and and so on and so forth. But it, but the consensus is is that is that she it, outside of anything that in, like imposing ethics like um, on on certain on basically everybody. Hey, you you have this money, but here's the thing, and this is. This goes back to the whole banks uh, ripping you off more and more and more and more as as time goes on. Like they they'll give out free loans, but they're like, oh, we can see so much money back. They have no ethics whenever it's concerned. Like, you know, yeah, they were encouraged to loan out money, but then whenever, but they were never encouraged to be responsible with how they um, loaned out money. And so we had an economic collapse in 2007. And and the way it should work is. Um, and this is the short version, obviously, is that there has to be ethics whenever whenever it comes out to, you know, making sure that the, the your average uh, person at the, uh, the at the bottom rung isn't getting completely hosed. Um, you know, uh, they're, 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 um, helping people, but not over and with without oversight really hurts the people. So there has to be oversight, uh, you know put into place making sure that everything is a certain specific way you know if if you don't um, figure out a way to to instill a, a system of checks and balances as a, as a common term if you don't find a way to install um, checks and balances then yeah a UBI absolutely won't work uh, but say, if in our current political climate I no. don't think this is going to fly because no, absolutely like, we're, not. we're, we're still having trying to fucking get problems as it is trying to balance like people like certain people that are now in political power say like saying stuff about trying to imprison political uh, rivals or uh, the whole long laundry list of authoritarian bullshit that's been spouted out but also now that there is going to be a fucking cabinet that's full full of of born or <laughs> well, died in the blue died in the wool whatever uh, Oh, hello, cat. Uh, like, these people that are, are dyed-in-the-wool capitalists and that are going to look for every opportunity to fleece the American public. Or at least that's my belief. So, Well, okay, so if you've looked at the cabinet of, of the Trump administration that he's beginning ready to put in there, um, it's, not, it's not a conglomeration of smart, evil people. Um, the best example of smart, evil people in a cabinet was George W. Bush Jr.'s cabinet you know with condoleezza rice with with colin powell with with uh dick cheney with um donald rumsfeld and the list goes on 
diabolically evil, but knew what the fuck they were doing. Uh, Donald Trump, on the other hand, is putting people who uh, who are completely, for lack of um, better terms, ignorant people in in places where they should not go. And one of the strongest examples of this is Ben Carson. Ben Carson's a neurosurgeon. He's been tapped for Secretary of Education. And no, 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 it's no. Like, uh, housing and Urban Development. Oh, but, Housing and Urban but Development. It, it might as and well then, be education because he has no fucking clue what he's doing. Exactly. And then Rick Perry for uh, Secretary of Energy. For, wait, 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 wait. What was it? There was a third one. There was a third one. Sarah Palin right. for VA. It's like she's never even been in the military. How is she going to be secretary of the VA? Like these are incompetent. I heard, heard that they denied that, and it was because she said something stupid or criticized Trump. It, it, right now, it, that yeah, she criticized Trump, and they they might be pulling that from her, but they haven't like actively suggested anybody else for the VA. But nevertheless, he's still filling his cabinets with people who are just. They just don't know what they're doing with it. Like nobody knows what they're doing. Donald Trump himself. Our president-elect doesn't know what he's fucking doing, and it really shows. And so it's again, it's not the diabolical evil genius cabinet that you had with like George Bush Jr. This is just uh, going to be a government of incompetent. But what's where where lies the problem in 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 a lot of ways is is not that that we don't know what what values that we have, you know, and it's not really a competency thing. So much in in the gen, gen, excuse me generic American populace, it's more of okay we've been pushed right pushed right pushed right, and so our, even our people on our left are anywhere in the world are considered conservative. Um, one of one of my big gripes is is that is that Hillary Clinton, you know the person who got the Democratic nomination, she was a self-described centrist, which pushes the goalposts more towards the right. Whereas you're not pushing progressive values like, you know, they're pushing right. And so are we. So we're going as a country, we are moving right. And the problem is, is that a lot of people don't know better and they need that education. And you got to push the goalpost more to the left. And if you don't do that, then then we're all all universally going to go right. And that's not necessarily a good way to go. So you have to be educated on the topics that are truly liberal. You have to know what like we're progressing as a as a country we are progressing as a world entity you know you have to we have technology progressing we have um humankind uh progressing universally across the board but yet we're trying to steer uh right to a more and it's not even conservative anymore it's more like a re, like there almost should be a regressive party you know, instead of, you know, conservative values, let's go, re- let's rewind a few years, like 50 years, you know, and, and to that, I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a quick uh, uh, plug here. And that is, is that, you know, back prior to 1954, our Pledge of Allegiance did not say under God. It, it just said one nation indivisible. So, you know, if you want to get rid of God and, and be conservative, let's go, let's do it. Come on. You know, because I think that religion is 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 what encourages most of the evil. But that's that's a side topic. But where we're, we what we should be doing is getting away from that, encouraging things to be more progressive and to keep up with our own world, so we're not stuck in the 1950s. And the and a lot of people don't realize the difference between like they the, a common term being you thrown out there by both sides is hack. 
and that is blind loyalty to your party. And you shouldn't have blind loyalty to your party. You should be an educated voter. Know what you're voting on. Know the politics of the person that you vote for. Because, you know, if you don't know why you're voting for them, other than, you know, they're the color that you that you prefer, you like you like blue better than red, so you're voting for this person, then that's not, that's, that's not an educated vote. That's just a hack. So you, you, you have to push you have to push it back to the left. I mean, even to stay center, you have to push back left. But right now we're taking a sharp turn to the right. And the only way to push our side, or the whole spectrum, away from the right is push a little bit left. So, so it centers us and maybe pushes us eventually to the left. But that, there's only one way to do that, and that's good education and informing the voters of what they're voting for, who they're voting for, what policies they're voting for. One of my biggest bitches in this pa- in this pre- past presidential election cycle was um, is most people just did not understand that hey, like let's move left, let's not stay if we stay center and they're going right, it's going to push the whole country right, and and people just were blindly just saying oh hey Hillary because Hillary's Hillary. Well, I think but, I think a lot of people may have the same sort of thought that you do. And that's why we had a third of registered voters not come out at all. And then that's why... um, So, I I happen to feel very lucky right now about living in the state of California. Uh, The response that our governor has given towards uh, the sort of things that the president-elect has been saying has... I find a certain type of uh, solace in that. and our governor Jerry Brown is is like you know what fuck this guy like not verbatim but th- that's kind of the the vibe that he gives off and I really I really respect that he's willing to stand up and say you know what here's what California has been trying to do and we refuse to go backwards and so I think there's a lot of people especially like like the huge was fucking three million extra votes in California like like. 3 million votes, or no, it's it's 2.8 million votes, Hillary over Trump, um, and everything's been certified now, but it was like 6 million votes in California, all Hillary. And it, that, that shows that, you know, maybe some people are like, yay, I'm, I'm a Democrat, and I'm, I would never vote for Trump, and I'm going to vote for Hillary because of, you know, I would, I'm, I, I'm just going to vote Democrat. And some people are maybe, they're all about Hillary. And then maybe some of the people are also pragmatic. And saying, you know what, Hillary was not my first choice, but I see the disaster on the horizon, mm-hmm. and I am going to do everything that I can within my civic uh, capability to prevent that disaster from happening. And you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan kind of fucked us as well as Florida. Uh, and and I'm gonna like I, I'm not gonna say who you voted for. Because I know who you voted for, and you know that's meant to be private. Um, but whenever we talk about things like uh, like third party candidates, like the state of Florida had a hundred and forty thousand, one hundred forty four thousand, I think it was the last time I heard, one hundred forty four thousand votes for Jill Stein. Donald Trump won Florida by like twenty or thirty thousand votes. So if it hadn't been for Jill Stein sucking votes from the left then then Hillary would have won Florida 
and well, it wasn't it wasn't something that anyone was counting on, but it was one of those things. It was like, holy shit, are you? It that would have like that electoral college gap would have been more than enough to to pull Florida to the left, and then it, it, like I mean, what we're talking about when we're talking about pu- pushing the goal po- goalposts to the left, uh, it, it shows that even in places like Red Florida. Like if you if you put both left leaning candidates that were in Florida, put all those votes together, it beat out over the over the conservative votes. Mm-hmm. And then I'm willing to bet in most of the states that uh, were kind of that like purplish color but ended up going red, they had a similar thing happening. So I think, uh, I think people that... are probably are probably smart enough to kind of know what's happening. But the the game was rigged this time in such a fucking way that it like. It's something that the the GOP has been working on for years. They've been trying to to gerrymander, chop up, gerrymander and carve up districts so that they make sure that their state goes one way, or they make sure their district goes a specific way, so that they can stay in power. And you know they've been working on this shit for decades. And I, I, here's yeah. the way I encourage people to vote, just um, so the voters know: um, if you lived in a solid red or a solid blue state, I said vote third party because we need to get rid of the two party system. Um, your state's going to go one way anyway, so vote for the third party. If they get over a certain percentage, we could po- potentially break a two-party system, which would be fantastic for everyone. But if you were in a swing state, say Florida, Ohio, um, any of those swing states, do not vote third party. Vote red or vo- vote blue because we don't need Donald Trump. And unfortunately, that's not the way things went. Um, you know, and and it, it is unfortunate, but where most of the election, where the, most of the election went wrong, um, was about threefold. One, Hillary Clinton was never clear about about a message that was outside of like a cliche or platitude, breaking barriers, um, um, uh, forward together, so on and so forth. You know, um, it, that like that's she just repeated the same stories over and over again that did not have any policy positions like Bernie Sanders like he just like that's all he would talk about he wouldn't even talk about himself he all he do like he's got fantastic stories about himself but he never said any of those he stuck to the policies which i pre- appreciated whereas Hillary Clinton was exactly the opposite she wouldn't talk about policy she would be like oh back whenever i was first lady back whenever i was secretary of state back whenever i was a senator so on and so forth i, I, th- and- I think we should be clear real quick uh, you and i are both we're, well, were, are, whatever, are both big Bernie supporters. Like, we're, we're big fans of, of the message that Bernie Sanders had. And mm. I think we both think in those populist sort of ways, and we think of in the egalitarian sort of ways, like everyone should be treated with the same levels of dignity and respect across the board. Um, like, everyone is different, but everyone should be treated the same. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, and, and, but also beyond that, uh, some people have more than others do, and those who can give to help others should do so, um, mm-hmm. because that's just like forget about the the politics and the the financials and stuff like that. That's just the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. if you want to bring religion into it, um, there's a very large portion of the United States that claims to be Christian. Well, guess what? Uh, you, the the savior or the the prophet, um, whatever you want to call it, the 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 main deity figure of christianity is uh like part of the message that is is put out there is to to help others 
and it what well, one is don't shove your beliefs on other people's throats and two help others and uh help like you know help feed the poor and uh being rich is not necessarily a good thing and things like that and i can yeah that's I'm, not the I'm, way I'm, things are turning out but i can make plenty of quotes to christian about yeah, about things you know it is easier to uh, put a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. You know, um, obey the law of the land. Um, you know, and, and the list goes on, you know. But here's the thing, is I don't hammer on that whenever it comes to people who do have the faith of Christianity. Um, because it, here's the thing, is this this country was founded to be secular because that was the only way you could have true freedom of religion is to be a secular nation where where the government did not cross into religion nor did allow religion to cross into the government this was this is still a recent thing in in, in our very short um, American history um, it's only been about 50 60 years since our since the the barrier broke down between religion and our government now if our our government was uh, still a secular government then things would be a whole lot better than what they are right now, but we we've been infiltrated by the religious right, and but that's that's neither here or there um, because again we we should because religion is 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 for people who are are uneducated in many ways. Um, and it's it's a, it, religion just happens to have a cover all answer for people who who want something that's that's easy to understand, easy to follow. You know, and can't go with the can't or won't go with the scientific method. Um, science is not a religion. Science is science, and science is life. It's everything around us. Science doesn't and, care what you believe. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and, you know, we need to go back to a secular government, and 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 push that in. And we need to get, we need to improve things. Like, I, do I think that we should destroy religion? No, but I think that we should cut uh, the government in the United States should cut off religion. Like it, there should be some sort of some litmus test that says, "Oh, you're evangelical. Well, then you don't qualify for this government office." I'm sorry, you know, like that. Sh there should be a cutoff. Like we can't if, allow if you, this it's religion like, into our government it, or to be influ or to influence our government. Well, think about how they do jury selection, and they they're going through and they're trying to find the right candidates for a jury that are not going to be biased one way or the other, and they can they can have an open mind about the evidence that's going to be presented. And they're like, okay, well, are you racist? And if someone goes, yeah, fuck those, then they're like, all right, well, you're off the jury. You know, like, if they go in and say, okay, well, what are your religious beliefs? This, this isn't, like, we have to be equal protection under the law, sure. But it's like, are you capable of separating your personal beliefs and religion uh, from the duties that you are going to have in office mm -hmm. because the what it what it ultimately comes down to is that we are a nation of laws mm -hmm. and effectively our laws should be our religion as as a nation it should be like different tiers you know you've got your personal philosophies and beliefs and whether or not you believe in in bearded magic man in the sky or on the other side like you can believe whatever you want to supernatural stuff but on this you should have just as much reverence for the rule of law because it's it's the agreement that we all live on and that we all live together saying okay well i agree that i will not do this or i will do this to either the, i will not do this so that it mutually benefits you and i 
or I will do this because this mutually benefits you and I. Like, paying taxes. I'm all for paying taxes. I don't like that my paycheck every two weeks comes in and I'm down a couple hundred bucks. That kind of stings, especially with uh, student loans. <laughs> but, you know, beyond that, it's, it's just like, um, yeah, I like having roads. I like having the police to make sure that, that if something happens, that they're going to look into things. I mm -hmm. like having a fire department. Um, I like having a government. I like having a military. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think our military should, should be reduced. And, hey, luckily, automation helps that. Uh, mm -hmm. But, like, like all of these things that, that shit like taxes pay for, it's like, I am all for these things. This is a mutual benefit for all of us. And we mm -hmm. should all pay our fair share. And anyway, that, that's a whole different discussion. That's a whole no, that, that's absolutely a whole different discussion. Uh, and and honestly, and, and I'm just going to plug something here real quick. You know, if, if you make more money, if you are a leader in what you do, you should be putting out a little bit more to to take it off the shoulders of those people who work so diligently for you. If you're a leader, yeah, you need to pay a little bit more. You know, you shouldn't sure. afford that. Which is, by the way, another another discussion on UBI is is uh, the wealthy. The problem with the wealthy isn't the amount of money that they get; it's the amount of money that they don't spend. Like they'll accumulate yeah. all this wealth and never spend it. And so what that does is it bleeds the rest of the country dry. Now these wealthy people decided to spend their money, and this is this is where the idea of added taxes to the rich come from, is because that's you're literally spending the money for them um you know it's not a logical leap to go between the two um to spread it out because the accumulation of wealth it just hurts us all and realistically hurts the rich like if the rich accumulate the money yet the poor people don't have the money to spend on the products that the rich provide yeah i was about, I was about to say what's going to happen when all the poor people run out of money and then they don't like what what, what happens to and this is going to be a really shitty example analogy whatever because i'm actually in support of this company they do great things but what's going to happen to <coughs> tim cook whenever no one can buy iphones anymore because we we don't have any fucking money and tim cook's got all the money and apple or apple's got all the money then then that's a very painful day that's gonna that's gonna that all these companies are gonna have to go through and mm -hmm. I, I guess you could you could equate you could make the same argument for a dozen other companies what's going to happen mm -hmm. to nike as the world's leader in uh professional sports gear what's mm -hmm. going to happen whenever nobody can buy nikes anymore because everyone's just dumping every single penny that they have into food and cl food clothing and rent you know mm -hmm. so like th that's that's something that we gotta gotta be really careful on um as we're trying to figure stuff out and i don't think that at least over the next two years we're going to be able to go in that direction as much no. as we want to. And um, I, 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 I hope and pray. Like, if I were if I were to believe in... Oh, here. Um, I, I pray to the force. I pray to the force <laughs> that, that in two years, the midterm elections, that there's going to be, to be enough people that have been energized by the nightmare that we're about to go through to go and just sweep congress and like the whole drain the swamp thing the draining of the swamp is is going to be done by the people and what's got to happen mm -hmm. is we've got to we've got to vote out 
as many Republican senators and as many Republican uh, congressmen as, as possible so that we can we can bring, bring balance to the force so <laughs> that so that the um, so that the Congress can then uh, have some sort of check and balance against the executive branch of government and then two years after that we got to get we have to we ill if if we can if our government is still in place uh we've got to put someone in in a, a leadership role who mm. will be able to help further uh, bring balance to what's going on and it, like it, like great for the next two years the republicans have control of both active uh well both major branches of, of congress actually they're gonna get, they're gonna get control of all three branches of service or uh, government here um they 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 already have they already have the ha the Senate and the Congress, um they they're going to have the executive branch. But furthermore, there's going to be up to two or three Supreme Court justices. Um, well, let's hope not by, in the next two years. Let's 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 hope like, that we're, happens. We're hoping not, but here, here so so realistically uh, speaking, in, in, the, in the in the in the vein of which you you were you were getting close to, these these are these are the steps that need to happen in order for us to start to push it back because you're right we're going to have a nightmare um it doesn't matter uh where at you lie on the on the spectrum as long <laughs> assuming that you're not uh uh red conservative and even then they're going to be in for a huge nightmare themselves they just don't know it yet but those oh, there's a lot of them that know it and there's a lot of them that are like uh we didn't plan on this happening yeah this and, isn't and, good no and you're absolutely right so what needs to happen is there's about three or four things that we as citizens can do uh number one educate 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 we have to educate people you know and 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 that that doesn't come in the form of you know condescending and looking down that comes in the form of understanding what's going on understanding why people vote and how they vote and saying and, you know and making it a discussion and making it something that you can like I have conservative friends. I'm not and my best friend. My best friend of all time is conservative. However, I've got him to the point to where he he will say, you know what, this may be a liberal idea, but it's still a good idea. You know, um, it's not a conservative idea. He no longer identifies as Republican. He identifies as libertarian, which is a real step in a, a good direction for him. You know, and he could sit down and actually discuss. Okay. You know, this is a good plan. This is a bad plan. Like um, my best friend, he 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 talks about um, yeah, um, um, there should be LGBT rights and they should not be discriminated against. You know, we are a country. You know, he he recognize he, he's not he himself doesn't like the idea of uh, of immigration specifically from Mexico. However, he understands that people who are American come from all uh, all backgrounds and. Like that's what we are built on. So we, you know, to retain our, ourselves as Americans, we need that immigration because we are a nation of immigrants. You know, oh, and just to, and so you have to sit down and you have to talk to them and discuss these things, and and to let them let that let there be a sieve to separate the bullshit from the, what the real issues are, and ed, again educate educate educate, and not in a condescending manner. Make these discussions. And that's the, that's one of the first things. The second thing is is quit blaming people. Like right now, the um, Hill, the diehard Hillary Clinton supporters, the staff, even 
so much as Hillary Clinton themselves, is trying to blame everyone for the Hillary Clinton loss. But what and and that is a problem. They're trying to blame Russia, you know. And it, it's it, and I have a I have a lot of rants already online about about that. You shouldn't blame you shouldn't blame anybody but Hillary yourself. Because it's the job of any aspiring politician to go out and earn votes. If they do not earn enough votes to get elected, then that is on them, not on the people who are voting. Because well, people who vote or don't choose not to vote are so, exercising their right to vote or not vote. So therefore, they're alleviated from any responsibility. So the problem is, it, so that lies on them. Quit blaming other people. Let's do the autopsy. Robert, what did Hillary? Robert, real quick, real quick, real quick. Yeah. So some people would 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 counter your argument about uh, getting people out to vote. Hillary Clinton had 2.8 million more votes than Donald Trump. So then we, we need to start talking about an electoral college sort of thing and gerrymandering and districting and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's, a, little, that's, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But here's the, here, the, there's, there's three places where Hillary went wrong. And I was discussing this with another friend of mine who is, a, is, is wholeheartedly in defensive of Hillary Clinton. And I don't, I don't really, I can't tell you why, because they were a Bernie Sanders supporter before they were ever a Hillary Clinton supporter. But this person rails against me for um, railing against Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton could have done one of uh, three of a hundred different things wrong, and she would be in an office. But the by the rules, had she, had she, um, it's a, it's on an electoral college. The electoral college being a whole separate issue and not going away anytime soon. Not until we have a liberal president. A truly liberal president and a truly liberal Congress, Senate, and judges. It's just not going to wait. Wait, those are the rules, and we all have to play by them. So that being said, she lost three key states that were considered the Democratic firewall, which include uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Those three states should not have fell. And the problem with that was, and if you do the autopsy and if you look at the numbers, it was largely due to the fact that she a didn't really campaign in, in 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 firewall states. Like, generally politicians don't. But what made it really worse is so those three states, almost specifically, were some of the um, Democratic states that were hit the hardest by NAFTA. And 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 not only did Hillary Clinton not say anything about NAFTA. She did go so far as to support TPP, and not not, and she went even further and said, TPP is the gold standard of trade agreements. And people were like, no, fuck trade agreements because this costs us our job. Nearly one percent of the populations of those, one percent of the populations of each of those states lost their job. Now, one percent doesn't sound like a lot. That's a lot. We're talking twenty-five thousand plus jobs on average in each of those states. Sure. So you know that. That you know, and that affects not only that person, but their family and their friends, who they have to then depend on. I think the number you know? is for every one factory worker that you have, like like in Evansville, um, whenever they opened the Toyota plant back in the late '90s, like '98, I think. Um, so, for those people who don't know, uh, every Toyota Tundra pickup truck that is that is sold in the United States and in most countries, every single one of them is made in a factory in Gibson County, Indiana, which is about a half an hour north of Evansville, Indiana. And there was like a five-year courting ritual done between the governments in Evansville, because it's the major city there, and uh, the Toyota company and 
certain people from Japan. Uh, and the high school that I went to was the was one of the only high schools in the entire Midwest that had a Japanese program where, you know, you could come in and learn how to speak Japanese if you wanted to. They had a four-year program on that. And because of that, uh, because like, that was one of the key things that it showed that there was an interest in, cre in, in creating a link to Japanese culture within the community. Um, that being said, uh, for every one factory worker, it creates up to eight support jobs uh, mm -hmm. in in the the region in that in that city so if you're talking 25 let's say in one uh in one state you've got 25,000 people that lose their jobs um for for factories and stuff like that then you're looking at 200,000 people losing their jobs that support those 25,000 people so you're not you're not looking at 25,000 people you're looking at 225,000 people so yeah so it's kind of a kind of a big deal that that sort of stuff happened and i mean until this election cycle i hadn't really thought of a lot of that stuff but it does it does fit with you know <clears throat> excuse me then the 90s uh were great for a lot of us uh and not so great for a lot of other people and mm -hmm. it just slowly like year after year one or two factories go one or two factories go one or two factories go and over the course of 20 years if you've got one or two factories every year uh now, like uh, now i will say something 20, here 30 or 40 uh, factories if you analyze the data uh, of NAFTA versus percentage of population, the hardest hit state in the United States uh, from from NAFTA um, per capita was actually the state that I live in, Indiana. Oh yeah. And in that in that is insane. That is it's crazy. And and yeah, but getting back on on track here. Um, her Democratic firewall fell, and 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 here's the thing: is Hillary Clinton, like I said, could have done three of a hundred things differently and still picked up those states because she. It wasn't like it was a huge mar Trump beat her by a huge margin. It was like ten or twelve thousand per state. Something like that. It was it, really close. All she all she had to do was is utter the words universal health care or. Or, hey, uh, you know what? Let's get rid of these trade agreements because they have hurt you guys so bad, and I recognize that. Or, hey, minimum wage. Or, hey, um, um, school for all, or at least some help with it, you know? She could have said a, a, a whole bunch of different things differently. And any one or two, three of those things would have flipped those states back to her. But she did not court the left. She would, she was, it, it was center right the whole time. And and that's and that's something we have to get away from. And people who defend her and blame other people aren't recognizing where the problems really lie. They don't lie with Russia or Comey or quote unquote Bernie Bros. It lies with Hillary Clinton herself. She she refused to do what she had to do. Like I understand that she had her private positions and her her public positions, but you know, and and, and I accept that politicians lie a lot or they they exaggerate at very minimum, you know. Where she needed to do that, she didn't do that, and she didn't pick up where she, where she needed to pick up. And we need – like I'm not saying that we need liars necessarily. I'm saying we need to have candidates who do appeal to the left you know, and because 47, 48 percent – Mitt Romney had it right – are Democrats, and, and we are going to vote you know, for our Democratic uh, person. So um, – so, you know, and the problem is, is that we didn't coalesce. We didn't get together because it, the liberal values weren't hammered out. So we got to stop hammering the. We got to stop citing blame. 
um, and and make an autopsy and ensure that we never try this again. And the third and the most important aspect of this is, you know, this we're, we are about to enter nightmare mode. And there's very little that we can do about it. You know, we just don't have the public support that we need um, through our elected uh, officials. So it, it's almost come to a point to where, you know, you do need to have some passive, re- very minimum passive resistance. You know, you have to have people show up to rallies and say, hey, look, I, I don't agree with these things, you know, get seen, get covered by the media, you know, make it um, like a, a, a Martin Luther King type of, of movement, make it, uh, you know. Uh, uh, some sort of civil, the equivalent to civil rights movement, because we do have civil rights in here, and 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 realistically, like it doesn't take that that big of a par- portion of the population to actually make people um, stand up and notice. And so, between education, not blaming other people, slash, you know, uh, really figuring out where the problems really lie, and civil resistance, and they all go hand in hand. You know, we can we could possibly negate this um in a very big way but we have to do it we can't just mess around with it we have to move together it's part of my inspiration of why i'm doing my video casts uh, my show is so i can educate um get the word out make the autopsies try to tell people why they shouldn't blame bernie bros or comey or russians or whoever and you know like encourage um, uh, discussion, civil resistance, you know, whether it's just passive sure. or otherwise. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, if you, if you, if you're not willing to do that, you know, then expect four more years, not only four years of Donald Trump, but possibly eight. And if we don't get started now, then that's a very real possibility. And it's very important for me to say that over and over and over again. Hey, we have to get together. We have to educate. We have to do this. We have to do that and move forward because I don't, I want this nightmare to be over as quickly as possible. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, if anybody wants to like look into the stuff that you're going to be posting, um, what's, do you have a Twitter account or is it just the the thing on Facebook under Um, the progressive veteran or how else are you going to be putting this out there so people can find you? Well, I'm going to, um, right now, um, I'm primarily on my Facebook page until I get the studio all put together. I do have a few videos on there right now. Uh, as soon as the studio gets together, it's going to have its own YouTube account. It's going to have its own Twitter account and its own Facebook account. Um, and social media. I also plan on, uh, putting together a website that's got a bunch of uh, different, um, resources people can look at, uh, people can, um, look into, possibly read up on and, and educate themselves and I hope to maybe form a community out of this who themselves are willing to step it up and step forward and educate other people because, you know, no one man can do it alone, you know, but one man can speak up loud enough to make it an exponential effect. Sure. And, sure. and yeah. I'm, I, I have my inspirations, um, as do, do most of us, you know, but if I reach just a few viewers and they reach a few viewers and they reach a few viewers before long, you know, we turn into something that's less of a civil resistance and more of a movement. And, and I think that could be very, very powerful. And, and it's what's right for all of us. Of course. Yeah. Well, Hey, thanks for, um, thanks for doing this with me tonight. I know I've got to, I've got to get off because 
it's looking pretty late my time and i know it's two hours difference for you so mm. um yeah thanks for uh for chatting with me for a couple hours and you know i'll try to get this out in the new year uh and maybe get a couple other stuff things recorded by then so yeah if you want to see any of the nonsense that my brother is putting up on the internet um about politics and whatnot and i'll, I'll definitely have to get you back on for politics uh, chatting, especially after the inauguration, um, you can find him on Facebook under the the Progressive Veteran. Uh, he's been posting up some stuff, and yeah, and everybody else can find me under the normal places where they know, know how to find me. So, well, thanks again for for joining me on this, and we'll we'll have to talk more often in the new year as opposed to once every year. Absolutely, absolutely. Maybe uh, we could do a podcast here uh, real soon, like yeah. That would be great.